As you may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty darn important, and our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. All you got to do is take care of your teeth, and Green Mountain Dental will hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out online today or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment. Broncos country is yeah. sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high, the best part of the weekend. Hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Make sure you use that code DNVR20 when you get your rich, tasty CBD-infused coffee. And we've got the whole squad together here on a Friday morning. Mace came in last night uh, back from Mobile and just couldn't resist getting back on the pod with us this morning. Because I missed you guys. Not that... We didn't hold down the fort well uh, without you, and I'm, I hope you enjoyed three days to kind of just be podcast list to kind of just take a break. I mean, Zach, you've kind of been the Iron Man of podcasts since I came aboard. Three so. days off, bizarre. I know. So uh, we were happy to kind of give well, you. Well, you a only got a, two because you did TDSP. <laughs> it's yeah, true. <laughs> we're happy to give you a little bit of a respite here for a bit, uh, but um, yeah, I wanted to just kind of come back and say hello. I got about a forty-five minute window here before I gotta go. Uh, uh, go meet about something non-sports related here so it's uh it's good to be around you guys and it, it was it was a good week it was a cold week but uh saw a lot of good players a lot this is a you know down there at the mobile of course it was a lot of second to fourth to fourth and fifth round guys um i've even got a little bit of a new man crush at center so i'm no. i am actually at the point where if it's not tyler biotish but it is lloyd cushionberry i've come around so okay on that i have many questions um and that is one of them i'll preface this with saying i already asked this question to andre and the name that you just mentioned came up so my question to him was last year we had and i think i don't know if you saw the clip i clipped a piece of the podcast where we said man if they could get drew lock in the first and Dalton Reisner in the second, that would be just the cream of the crop. <laughs> they ended up one-upping that. So <laughs> as you leave the Senior Bowl, what is your, if they could get so-and-so in the first and so-and-so in the second combination? From the Senior Bowl, it would be if they could get Javon Kinlaw in the first and Lloyd Cushenberry in the second. And then I'll extend it out to if, if they could get K.J. Hill in the fourth. Okay, so that more is more of a slot receiver, but that's the kind of the right time to pick a guy like that. I think he's I think he's a be, I think he's a flashier, more explosive Deshaun Hamilton. Of course, he had that one-handed catch yesterday that I put out uh, from the practice they had over at the South Alabama. They call it a field house, but it's basically a shed cuz you can't really enclose it. It's It kind of looks cool. <laughs> it, it was does. cool. And, and actually for if you're a Group of five school, you don't have the budget of power five schools, and you're in a place like Mobile, Alabama, where the coldest day in the year has a high of like 40. A shed is kind of what you need because <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's raining and you just got to go inside. Um, but yeah, that 
I, I looked down. Um, I put that that video out, and then I looked down about like three hours later, and it had like forty thousand views, <laughs> and I think uh, it had like it's at like eighty five thousand views for that one handed catch that KJ Hill had. The, the amazing hit Ohio State Twitter exactly it did. And the the thing about that it it's not just that the ball just sticks to his hand. It is if you watch him, he barely loses his speed as he's on that crossing route, catching the pass for Jordan Love, reaches back, gets it in his hand, and then is able to turn up field. Now, the reason why KJ Hill, I think, is going to be a fourth or a fifth round pick is because he doesn't have vertical speed. So to me, he's who you're draft. He's a second receiver that you draft, but very intrigued by him. And an excellent route runner. He was getting set. He, you know, he'd make two breaks in the first seven yards, get like three or four yards separation off those breaks. He's very precise. I kind of like I like him for different reasons than I like Terry McLaurin, but I kind of came away from the Senior Bowl with the same feeling about him that I had about McLaurin. Mm, so KJ Hill is your new Terry McLaurin. I love it, Mace. I'm gonna take it a little more specific. You get one player and whatever kind of respective round they're supposed to go in from the Senior Bowl, who is it? Whew, man, that's tough. Um, Locked in. You, you get him. You get this one guy. Get this one guy. Well, Javon Kinlaw in round one is kind of the dream mm. player. The problem is kind of just whispers around Mobile – Tampa Bay loves Javon Kinlaw. And they, of course, are picking just ahead of the Denver Broncos. Well, an interesting... So what if the Shelby Harris deflection costs you Javon Kinlaw? Mm, yeah, and then or Shelby any number, also leaves. <laughs> yeah, any number of guys that you could be talking about. But if the Broncos, if they're active in free agency, if they do pursue an Eric Armstead or they can re-sign a uh, Derek Wolf and get another veteran, then they're not going to be in the Javon Kinlaw market. But uh, just that guy, force of nature. Another guy that I would take a look at down the line, maybe toward the end of day three, is a guy who really balled out down there, and that was Jason Strobridge out of North Carolina, who was just winning one one on one matchup after another and was going inside and outside. Interesting thing, he wants to play at 285, but he's at 267 right now because he loses weight during the season. So you're kind of concerned about whether he can maintain the weight and keep it on. So for him to be on the Broncos' radar, you'd have to make sure that you got him on an in-season weight room protocol that allowed him to maintain that 285-pound size over the course of the year. Otherwise, he's not going to be a fit as a three-tech for you. Okay, my next question. And by the way, uh, I didn't get a chance to say this. Those were the exact two that Andre said. Hmm. Kinlaw in the first, Cushenberry in the second. Um, rank the quarterbacks. Justin Herbert won. He was, I mean, he was what he was supposed to be. We, as advertised, best quarterback down there. You know, didn't have the panache that Drew Locke had in terms of interactions with the media, et cetera. He didn't have that moment where he kind of grabbed you, you know, metaphorically speaking, when he talked to the press. But as far as what he had to do on the field, making all the throws, looking composed, good decisions, going through. He he was better at going through his progressions than I thought he would be. Uh, Jordan Love, I wouldn't take him in the first round. Somebody will. 
but I wouldn't. I'd take him in round two. Solid prospect there. And then it's it's kind of it's it's it gets kind of dicey after that because Shea Patterson's dead last. Um, I'd say sounds like he had a good week. Yeah, you have you'll you'll have Anthony Gordon and Stephen Montez kind of right there, uh, just above him. In terms of in terms of of where they stand, Gordon's intriguing. I, tw- I tweeted out a video of him yesterday. His delivery is fascinating to watch because it's really quick, and he kind of just—it's almost like a flick. That's why Mike Leach loved him so much, right? But it's what—it's why I actually would take a a sixth round flyer on him if I've taken care of all my other needs, hmm. because the 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 quickness of the delivery reminds me a little of Russell Wilson. I'm not saying he is Russell Wilson. Don't don't get me wrong there. That. What? I think you just said that. No, I didn't. <laughs> Zach. <laughs> so, no. So, Mace, you mentioned Justin Herbert, and you're probably the perfect person to ask about this because, as we know, you're not 100% sold on Drew Locke, which is totally fine, but someone Thanks. else that may not be 100% sold on Drew Locke is John Elway. So you're a perfect person to ask because you were at the Senior Bowl watching Justin Herbert. John Elway was at the Senior Bowl watching Justin Herbert. We know that John Elway has liked Justin Herbert in the past. He was your number one quarterback this week. Was he your number one quarterback enough so where if you're John Elway or you're yourself and you watched Herbert this weekend, you say, hmm, maybe I need to change my mind. No, because he needed to have a week that just jumped out in the way that Baker Mayfield had in 2018 that I saw Carson Wentz have in 2016. And even I I had... I was thinking back to Senior Bowl quarterbacks over the years. Russell Wilson was terrific when he was down there. And Dak. Uh, Dak Prescott in 2016. 2016 was kind of a fun year because you had Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott, and both of them had a lot to prove, and both of them did it. Like with Dak Prescott, one moment I'll never forget is that the first day of practice, he gets to his fourth read and finds um, – the youngest Gronkowski brother, a fullback from Kansas State. I, I'm blanking on his first name. And the questions about Dak were, okay, he, you know, he's got it, he's got a lot of tools, but he's never had to go through progressions in that Mississippi State offense. And I see him effectively getting to the fourth read under pressure and finding a fullback on a wheel route 30 yards downfield at the sideline. And it was one of those moments where I said, okay, that's a pro quarterback right there. Yeah. And with Justin Herbert, he didn't have that one moment that kind of just snapped and grabbed me. Right. In the way that some other quarterbacks did. I didn't see any hype. Like, when we were there, and both years we were part of the hype, but it was like the the Baker, we we were calling it Baker or Mayfield Mania. His his year. I mean, no one anywhere you turned around a corner, everyone was talking about Baker. Yeah. All the tweets were about Baker. And last year, Drew Locke wasn't quite up to that level of hype, but he was the talk of the town. I didn't uh, just based on Twitter. I didn't feel a talk of the town, uh, except for maybe Kinlaw. But in terms of quarterbacks, I didn't see anything that like people were gushing over. No, it was very unspectacular. Jalen Hurts was. Just okay, nothing great. 
Gordon intrigued me a little bit, again, just because of the delivery. And he was really rough on Tuesday that he fumbled a, a, a snap from under center, which should come as no surprise coming from out of the air raid that he'd have trouble with that. But I would say Gordon had a good day one to day three improvement to where I'd be okay taking a flyer on him. And I, and Montez, I did not see his day three because we had to uh, get out and catch our flight back. But Montez got better from day one to day two. And a big thing for him, and I'm going to get into this when I write my article about him coming up here on the DMVR.com, he's working with quarterback guru Jordan Palmer. He's going to be in one of the quarterbacks Jordan Palmer has this year is Joe Burrow. So Steven Montez and Joe Berg are going to be working side by side. Oh, God, those two are going to be two peas in a pod. <laughs> That's going to be awesome for him. And I'd like, unfortunately, you know, we're not going to see what he does in individual workouts. But I'm looking forward to seeing if Steven Montez decides to throw at Pro Day and uh, seeing how his footwork is, if they if they kind of run him through some of the uh, the footwork drills that he was doing at the Senior Bowl because I'd like to see if he's if he's more effective at that than he was kind of starting off the week. All right, here's my last one for you. I won't. Maybe you can do it, but I, I won't make you. If you want to go back further, you can. In the last three years, we have seen Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and Justin Herbert all at the Senior Bowl. Just based off of what you saw at the Senior Bowl, where would Locke fall on that scale? Locke, first of all, it's Mayfield 1. Um, Josh Allen, I have 2 because, again, he from day 1 to day 3, I thought he made a ton of progress. I actually would say Locke was better than Herbert, so I'm going to say Locke 3. And maybe it should give everyone confidence, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was there for the, your top 3 I actually would put Drew a little ahead of Josh Allen, but I acknowledge the fact that it might have been that the fact that just Baker was just so much better than Josh Allen in my eyes that it made Josh Allen feel worse. Yeah, and Daniel Jones, I'd have bringing up the rear. <laughs> I did not see what Dave Gettleman saw in Daniel Jones Man, that I, week. Uh, as you saw, I was kind of listening to our podcast from after the first day of after both days of Senior Bowl practice last year. And I was listening to just what we had to say about Daniel Jones. I mean, the first thing I said was, he's not a first-round quarterback. Uh, <laughs> that, that was my first take of Daniel Jones. Um, I remember Andre saying, like, he couldn't complete anything to his off-arm side. It's just like, what did they see? I, and just... I, I remember after talking to him at the first media day that we had with him, and he was so frazzled thinking, oh, my gosh. I hope this guy does not go to New York. We said that on the podcast. <laughs> we said, if you're the New York Giants and you saw that press conference, you have to cross him off. Right? <laughs> yeah. Turns out now he's the guy with Eli Manning gone. Pretty crazy. I hope he has success. I'm not rooting against him. I'm not. I like him. And actually, I, I don't when I, I had a chance to talk to David Cutcliffe in the pre-draft buildup about Daniel Jones last year, and I've never seen a coach. I never heard a coach that was so enthusiastic about one of his players going to the next level as David Cutcliffe was about Daniel Jones. I think he was just testing his own power. 
He's like, how much can I just elevate a guy if I just gush about him all the time? <laughs> and he found out he can make him a top six pick. <laughs> and that's why I hope part of Peyton Manning's conversations with Drew Locke involve, hey, Drew, I got a guy in Durham. He's worked with me and my receivers before. Why don't you give him a call? Peyton Manning should have Drew Locke put on the Peyton Manning passing camp. And just Drew Locke does it, and Peyton just pays for it. And it's called the Peyton Manning Passing Camp. For his, or I guess the Drew Locke Passing Camp presented by Peyton Manning. Yes. <laughs> presented by Peyton Manning and Buick. Yes, sure. Well, it doesn't matter. They can get in all the sponsors they want. But that's that would that should be the gift from Peyton to Drew. <laughs> and what's the gift from Drew to Peyton? Uh, Broncos wins. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and extending Peyton Manning's legacy with a team. Because if... Drew Locke is doing well in part because of what he's getting from his time with Peyton Manning, then Peyton's shadow still looms over everything Denver Broncos. Yeah. Was it weird? Um, not like Obviously, you're always going to watch the quarterbacks, but was it weird not being concerned about the quarterbacks? Full disclosure, that was one of the reasons that we weren't down there. It's yeah. just like – well, it is nice to see the J- Javon Kinlaws and Lloyd Cushenberries of the world. We didn't need like all hands on deck trying to find the, the next quarterback <laughs> of the Broncos. It was because I haven't had a year like that since January of 2015 where I was focused on everything but the quarterbacks. Uh, that said, because you're always looking at the back end of the draft, it means it meant that I was watching Anthony Gordon, Stephen Montez more closely, and, and Gordon in particular, I thought, I, as, as I kind of watched that delivery and over and over and over and watched his decision-making in practice get a little bit better, I thought, okay, after what Gardner Minshew did coming out of the air raid after he'd been the, at Washington State for one year, I, I'd be comfortable with a day three lottery ticket on Anthony Gordon and bringing him in and seeing what he can do. I thought it was a really good thing that he did he wore the jersey number three down there in Mobile to honor his late uh, Washington State teammate, Tyler Holinsky. Mm, so cool. he just good character guy, but I, I, the, rat, the, the delivery, how quickly he gets the ball off and the improvement he made from day one to day three, I'm always adding a quarterback to, to the back of that room, Zach and RK, even if I've got my starter. So Anthony Gordon, late day three, why not? Sure. I'm sure that all the I'm sure that like Cliff Kingsbury is probably thinking the same thing. Cliff Kingsbury has like a <laughs> pipeline. Just whoever comes through Mike Leach or Lincoln Riley it will be on his radar. Do you think maybe that Mike Leach will get better raw quarterbacking prospects now that he's in the SEC? Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll be, be really fun. interesting to see. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of guys who are a lot of quarterbacks who are like, man, I'd love to play in the air raid, but I'm not going to freaking pull. I almost cursed. I'm not going to Pullman, Washington. Right. Well, Starkville, Mississippi. I mean, they don't call it Stark Vegas for nothing. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Starkville. Speaking of why, <laughs> um, because it looks like they party really hard on Saturdays. <laughs> but it's in the same state as Oxford, Mississippi, yeah. Ole Miss, the Grove. I mean, that's like kind of the the ultimate pregame experience right there, and it's just about an hour and a half up the road. Maybe you can get a day night doubleheader. Oh. Okay. Well, I don't know if my liver could take that. <laughs> so I'm trying to go soon. <laughs> Speaking of SEC quarterbacks, how cool was Jalen Hurts' helmet in person? 
It was cool, but he didn't actually wear it in the practices. Oh, no? No. He wore his Oklahoma helmet in the practices. Disappointing. It was kind of a it was it a was nice a publicity little gift. Stunt. Yes, and uh, <laughs> it was good for the press conference and all that. But uh, one thing about Jalen Hurts, you hear that he's good in the locker room, but publicly he is a soft-spoken young man. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's from the quarterback – I, I don't know if you look at Jalen Hurts, who you know, it, it you barely speaks above a whisper at his pre- at it when he's dealing with the press and say, "This is the guy that's representing our franchise." Well, even you- though he's a he's a high character guy and his teammates love him and and all that, so I think maybe he's got to become a little bit more assertive when he's in those public situations. If a team asks him to be their starting quarterback at some point, well, Mace, when you say that it reminds me of someone else maybe this transitions us it reminds me of Eli Manning big mm. time I mean he he's maybe maybe Jalen's a little more soft-spoken than Eli but Eli is not a dominant force when he's at the podium but like you said behind closed his teammates absolutely right. love him never have a bad thing to say about him he is a really good leader both on and off the field and reminds me of Eli where you don't have to have that type of guy publicly to the media if he's going to be good behind closed doors with his teammates and certainly the opposite of Drew Locke. Wonderful where point. Drew Locke absolutely, and Peyton Manning takes over press conferences and wins the media over without a doubt. Yeah, I think that Daniel Jones is the next Eli Manning, just without the big wins. Well, how important are those big wins? And that's the that's an interesting conversation going around um, this week is whether or not Eli is a Hall of Famer. Everyone seems to have a very strong take on this. I've yet to hear anyone say like. Yeah, I think he's like a eighth ballot <laughs> Hall of Famer, you know. Um, so Mace had framed this question in an interesting way that I think makes it more relevant to this podcast that I like. If Eli Manning was a Bronco and not a New York Giant, would we be having these conversations about this? And I guess we have to live in a world in which the Broncos play in the NFC so that they can play the Patriots in the Super Bowls. Right. Because that's the most important part here. Yeah. So, Zach, what do you think? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Now, what changes if he's in Denver as opposed to New York is the first ballot. I think Eli Manning's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Wow. When you said you had a strong take about this, this is not the direction (laughs) I thought you were going. I know. I didn't think you thought I was going this way. But in Denver, yeah, he's, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. He has, when you take a step back and look at it, Eli Manning, the name isn't sexy. Him on the podium isn't sexy. He him, literally isn't sexy. He isn't sexy. Him mm-hmm. playing football isn't sexy. There's not. There's no sex appeal to Eli Manning. But when you take a step back and look at the numbers, the number, the career numbers he has are sexy. He's top 10 in nearly like every statistical category. So that in itself is impressive, but that's not what gets me. And it's not the two Super Bowls either that gets me. It's the two Super Bowl MVPs. If you are the best guy in the biggest game, only one of five players have ever done that. I don't care if he has any of the top 10 numbers to go along with that. If you're a two-time Super Bowl MVP, that's enough for me. And that that's what gets it for me. It's not the two Super Bowls. It's the two Super Bowl MVPs. And then you want to put it in context against doing it against the Patriots like he did and knocking off the undefeated Patriots. Uh, that is what Tom Brady's lost three Super Bowls and two of them are, or is he lost four? I don't know. He's been to so many, but the New York Giants, you cannot 
write the history of the NFL without Eli Manning being a pretty big part of it. Check it out. Open up that book right in front of you. It is the history of the NFL. <laughs> is he in I there? I bet you he's in there. <laughs> but there are probably, I mean, is there Mace an index is doing in the here? Hard work. <laughs> oh, well, we see the we see the first picture in the back. No, like when you open it, I thought I thought it looked like a little New York Giants colors. Oh, it's Saquon Barkley. No, okay, because uh, yeah, it ends with the most recent. Right. I don't know why Saquon was there. Oh, there is an index. Sorry for Mace throwing his microphone around. <laughs> if you're hearing that in your ear. So when Mace looks this up, can I toss the question to you, Ryan? Yeah. Because um, you said everyone has a strong take. People are really, really overthinking this. Okay, first of all, there's a name in here. I can't find whether – there's not an index. It's an index of photos. So it gives you all the photo credits. But I am reading the foreword to the book, He's, which was written Mace by Troy Aikman, okay? And I'm going to – and the first name that Troy Aikman mentions in the foreword of this NFL 100 book – is Don Mikowski. So you have this NFL 100 book, and the first name in the text is The Magic Man, who had, hey, a really dynamic moment in the late 80s, early 1990s with the Green Bay Packers. But he goes down in history as the guy who was the Packers quarterback before Brett Favre. You can't. So literally, the NFL history is not being written without the name Don Mikowski. Is Don Mikowski a Hall of Famer? No. <laughs> okay, so here is what I was getting to. This is being overthought so much. <laughs> I don't know why people are trying to think so hard about this. It's not the Hall of Stats. And as you just pointed out, he has the stats. It's not the Hall of Regular Season Wins. It's the Hall of Fame, and Eli Manning is most certainly deserving of being in the Hall of Fame. And to me, when you are talking about this era of football, I think he's the second name that comes up. Mm -hmm. Only behind TB12? Yes. You talk about Tom Brady. You talk about the Patriots dynasty. What about Peyton Manning? Hold on. (laughs) And then I think the natural progression in a conversation or a book about this era of the NFL instantly goes to, and his only weakness, his only kryptonite was Eli Manning and the New York Giants. And that is such a beautiful storyline because it's true about Eli. Nothing about him was sexy, but somehow he was able to beat Tom Brady in two Super Bowls. And because of that, it's so, so obvious to me that Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. See, I think it's also, it's Eli and Peyton Manning combined because Remember that Peyton Manning was the quarterback for teams that beat the Brady-led Patriots three times in the AFC Championship game. Yep. So you're talking other- about five more Super Bowls for Tom Brady, <laughs> potentially. Yes. If, uh, if Peyton and Eli aren't around. If Archie maybe just drinks a little too much whiskey. Oh, <laughs> Could you imagine if Archie did have a little too much a couple nights and we're talking about Tom Brady like taking his shoes off to put the, another ring on one of his toes because he has 11 by now? One for the pinky oh toe. Oh, my. That would be disgusting. Right. And so I think that's the way – that's the progression. It would go Tom Brady to Eli Manning talking about his kryptonite. And then it would go to – and don't forget Peyton Manning who beat him in three AFC championship games and – and saved us from, you know, that story. Okay, but at the initial question, though, is Eli Manning being considered for the Hall of Fame 
if he has this level of accomplishment with the Denver Broncos or the Arizona Cardinals or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'll say this. We would be on this podcast absolutely <laughs> saying that he is 100% a Hall of Famer. Um, but I you mean, have two Super Bowl MVPs against it, the best team in the league at the time. But I think part of it is all, the reason we're discussing this is the whole New York East Coast thing because we were touching on it before the podcast. Harry Carson and Randy Gratishar have similar resumes. Both played inside linebacker in 3-4 schemes. Gratishar actually has more all-pro appearances than Harry Carson did. Harry Carson has been in the Hall of Fame now for 14, 15 years. And Randy Gratishar is still waiting. He couldn't get in even through this expanded seniors class this year. So I, I think it is a kind of a legitimate question to say, does Eli Manning have the same in Vic Fangio parlance oomph to his Hall of Fame candidacy if he is in the Midwest or the Rocky Mountain West or the Deep South compared to the Northeast and the Eastern Seaboard? I think that the great um, elevator in this whole discussion is Super Bowl rings. And I think that if you took Eli Manning's career and took out the Super Bowl rings that people would just say no and we'd kind of move on, especially if he, he was in Denver. Um, so is Phil, like Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, which one is the more likely Hall of Famer? Eli. Eli, easy. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? I lean towards no. He's kind of just like Eli Manning without the rings yeah. and, and a little more oomph to him. Did he – how, did he make an AFC championship game? Yes. Like one, right? One. Back in January of 08, lost to the Tom Brady-led Patriots. Shocking. That was the game he played on, an AC, on a torn ACL. So one, I mean, just one of the ultimate. One championship game appearance, even. Maybe Is it he hit? had, like, four. But also, I mean, some of that you have to – I know it's getting in the details here, but, okay, how much of that is on him? Is Philip Rivers has the Chargers in position to beat the Patriots in January of 2017. The Chargers had home field advantage for the playoffs. They'd gone 14 and two that year. Do we punish Philip Rivers because Marlon McCree doesn't protect the football after he picks it off? Well, he, he, here's a here's a counterpoint to you. Eli Manning's offensive line did not protect him in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, yet the play that will be remembered forever for Eli Manning, he escapes the defender. He makes it happen. And David Tyree makes the greatest catch in the history of he the does. Super Bowl. He does, but, but Eli Manning did what he needed to do. The one That, that one gets played, obviously, the most because it was the perfect season. The more impressive play was a throw to Mario Manning in the second was... Super Bowl. I think that's the best throw in Super Bowl history. Could be. It's it, up there. It doesn't. It's it's impossible to throw a better Ter pass than that. Terry Bradshaw had some gorgeous deep throws, especially in Super Bowl fourteen in particular. He had now one of them. Lynn Swan had a a great catch, but he has two other deep balls to John Stallworth where he just kind of hits Stallworth in stride uh, down down the field in the fourth quarter. So uh, it, it's a great throw, but I, I got to tip my cap. I'm gonna. Fly the old school banner and say, but like good, but I'm going with Bradshaw's throws in Super Bowl 14. Hitting a wide receiver in stride down the field is different than dropping it in between the corner and the safety perfectly on the sideline. But what, it was also a different 40, era. 
it was more of a long bomb era back then. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think Eli, we would have to fight for him to get in if he was in Denver. I think I don't think it would be uh, as easy as it should be now. Um, the two Super Bowls is enough to get him in the conversation. The two Super Bowl MVPs to me just makes it impossible. I mean, the best player in the best game against the best team. I just that that makes it simple. There's a name I want to see go in before I'm fully okay with Eli Manning being a Hall of Famer. Okay, Jim Plunkett. Fine by me. He was a Super Bowl MVP for Super Bowl 15. Was the starting quarterback for the Raiders in two Super Bowl wins. He the the thing with Plunkett that kind of hurts his cause is he kind of was hamstrung by being on some really bad teams in New England in the early 70s and actually kind of started the 1980 season with the Raiders as a backup before he became the starter and emerged. But if you tell me that Jim Plunkett is a Hall of Famer and his name kind of comes up in some of the seniors' conversation over the course of the last few years, and I think it'll keep coming up. But if you tell me Jim Plunkett's in the Hall of Fame, fine. Eli's a Hall of Famer too. Um, real quick, it just—I just when you were talking about Gratishar, it reminded me of something I heard Jeff Legwald say, which was that defensive players get punished more than anyone for not having Super Bowl rings, and I just think that's crazy because he said, like, if you look at it, most of the guys, like the players who most people believe are deserving and haven't yet got into it, are are defensive greats who don't have Super Bowl rings. That's a very good point. Because if you're connected to one of those great uh, defensive units, you've kind of got a, a golden ticket. I think, for example, Aqib Tlaib, when all is said and done, I think Aqib Tlaib will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think so, yeah. too. In large part because he was on that dominant defense in the mid-2010s here. He was part of the no-fly zone. The name no-fly zone, that's going to be remembered. Yep. That's going in with, you know, with the purple people eaters and the legion of boom also from this decade in seattle you're gonna see a bunch of seahawks on def on defense get in the hall of fame because of what the team accomplished as a whole doesn't it this is a little off track but doesn't it also help Akib that he kind of did a, a, a world tour you know he was in tampa bay down there so he got the south cover then he went up to new england then he came to denver it, then he went to los angeles it's what a way to make sure you can say oh well Let's get another Patriot in there and recognize them for their success over the Belichick-Brady era. So we'll count of keep to leave even though he was there a year, literally a year and a half. Yeah. So did he, didn't, did he even go to a Super Bowl in New England? No. Yeah. The closest they came was in 2013 when they lost to the Broncos in the AFC Championship game. He got hurt that day, remember? Yes. That game is fuzzy for me. I don't know. Maybe I had some drinks that day. I don't. I I have very few memories from that game. I which, think wait, part, which one? The, the first, 2013 AFC Championship Broncos Patriots. I remember mm -hmm. that was the most beautiful December day or January day. Pardon me, I've ever seen in Denver in my years here because it was that 68 degree sunny day, warm. I remember Terrence Knight and having the game of his life. But I think part of the reason why it's been Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> Part of the reason why it's been overshadowed <laughs> is because the game a couple of years ago, a couple of years that after that was so memorable. Yeah, I, I, I right. mean, I couldn't yeah, tell you where I, agree, I watched though. the game. I agree. 
It was right. 26-3 in the third quarter. So basically, you had the Patriots kind of putting wow. up some garbage time stuff, but the Broncos were out in front, and it just it, it kind of felt like they were on cruise control for much of the back half of the game, and there was not a lot of suspense to I, it. And I think that's why it doesn't stick in people's minds as much, even though, like I recall kind of Terrence Knight with a fourth down sack. I recall Jacob Tammy scoring a touchdown. Remember, no Sean Moreno uh, leaped over a Patriots defender. Uh, these are I, I remember kind of images from the game more than the actual kind of guts of it, whereas the 2015 AFC Championship game, because of how it progressed and how the, the they went back and forth and the Patriots were, were closing and the, and the Broncos' defense was hanging on by its fingernails. I think that's why that game kind of sticks in our memories more. <laughs> you got nothing, I Ryan? got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Did I even watch the game? Like... I think you had a very good day, Ryan. That's yeah. what I'm going to say. This is so weird. I, I, could, I don't remember one detail of the day. So it must have been a really Were good day. Were you there? No, I was not at the game. Okay. Um, I can be assured of that. I obviously watched the game. I remember it was 68 degrees, and I remember, you know, no Sean jumping over You were in people. shorts, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I bet I was. <laughs> were you I working gotta, for the I Browns knew. then? Um, 23rd? Nope. Okay. Nope, college, so maybe that's why I don't remember. Yeah, same. I was in college, too. I just... Weird. <laughs> don't, I need to. I need to watch the game. Like, just go on YouTube and find it. Yep. And, and then it'll and all it'll spark. Yeah. There's another big reason why I think that game has been lost to the Rolodex of history for the Broncos. What happened two weeks later? Right. Yeah. He's right. Scrub. Scrub everything in the playoffs. Out. Well, and we was, all. We yeah. also. Now that you mentioned that they like essentially were blowing them out at one point. It was. It's it was expected. Everyone expected the Broncos to beat everyone they played and just kind of cruise their way to the Super Bowl, and everyone thought they were going to cruise their way right through the well, Super Bowl as well. The thing about that game going into it, remember, Von Miller was out. He torn his ACL late in the regular season. Derek Wolf was out. He'd been out since Thanksgiving weekend. Chris Harris Jr. had just torn his ACL the week before. So going into that game... Champ Bailey, basically on one foot, he's like, I got to play. He knew he had to play. So the storylines going into the game involved whether Champ Bailey's foot would hold up and could this, at this point, ragtag Broncos defense hold the Patriots back enough. I remember thinking going into that game, the Broncos might have to win this one like 50-49. to 49. Did Trinan Holiday house a return in that game? No. Mm. Sounds familiar, though. You could convince me. <laughs> we had passed peak Trendon by that point. Interesting. He was starting to fade. I, did he do something? He had a touchdown against the Giants, I think, in week two of that year. But he was not That's the... It? Yeah, he was not the explosive <laughs> force in 2013 that he was in 2012. Oh, it's, that was the year before. Right. It's incredible how decimated that team was. It's. You look at the starting lineup for Super Bowl 48 on the defensive side... And the offense. And got, yeah, but you look at, at the players, but even players who play extensively, I mean, you're seeing like Paris Lennon, uh, Sean Phillips near the end of his career. I think it was Paris Lennon's last game. You had Tony Carter having to play extensively. Duke Iannaccio was back at safety because Raheem Moore had had a, a season-ending injury back in 
November. Uh, Mike Adams, who ended up doing some good things in Indianapolis after he left, but it was a duct tape and bailing wire lineup by the time the Broncos got to Super Bowl Forty Eight, and it was a shame because that Bronco team that made it there, it was kind of it was kind of gutty in how it it got to the Super Bowl, even though it kind of belies all the Star Wars offensive numbers of that year. It was a gutty effort to hang on against the Chargers in the divisional round. Remember after Chris Harris Jr. got hurt in the divisional round when Quentin Jammer came out there? And, of course, he's a former Charger, and he has nothing left. And Phillip Rivers is just like, I'm throwing at Jammer. Mm-hmm. And that game, if Chris Harris gets hurt a possession or two earlier, the Broncos might have been upset in the divisional round. Yep. Because the Chargers came storming back, and then – Champ basically playing on one foot in the AFC Championship game. You know, it's, you know, there are people who get hung up on the Broncos losing the Super Bowl because they say, oh, well, John Fox didn't practice with noise. And that's why they had the bad snap. Or they moved hotels. Yes. <laughs> Guys, the, that Bronco team in Super Bowl 48 and that Seahawk team, if they play 10 times, the Seahawks win nine. Wow. Uh, certainly no one was thinking that before the game. Mm, certainly not Vegas, not anyone in Denver. But not you, not any, and really not anyone in Denver, because I remember <laughs> uh, we were working on .com. I was working on Broncos uh, Digital, and we had a, a breakfast meeting, and we're talking about all the things that are going to go on, and finally I speak up and say, uh, what happens if this team loses? I swear no one in the Broncos' realm had even considered for a second that the team might lose, let alone get absolutely destroyed. I thought, I thought there was a, chance, a good chance they would lose. As I'd watched Seattle leading up to that game, I thought this team is faster than I thought it was, and they're going to cause some problems. But I did not think it would be 43-8. I thought the Seahawks would win something like, if they won, it would be something like 31-24. If you had said you wanted to bet me um a million dollars and you're gonna give me the broncos plus 34 (laughs) i would have gone to every bank in the country and taken out a loan to take that bet from you yep yep (laughs) yeah the blowout is what nobody saw coming but it was fascinating that so many around the Broncos didn't even see a loss coming in any way there was that uh, that offense had kind of made everybody a little bit arrogant I mean, they were unstoppable. They were the best they were, ever. But there's a long history in the Super Bowl oh, yeah. of when those offenses that have 500, 600 points in the season, when they get to the Super Bowl, it doesn't usually go well. Good news for right. Broncos fans Yep. this year. Because... And in 2015. How, how did... Yes. How did the Seahawks do it? How did they hold the Broncos to eight points? Four man pressure. Period. I mean, obviously the Legion of Boom was teeing off. It was four man pressure. It's the one. It's the way you beat Peyton Manning. It's the way you beat Tom Brady. It's the way you beat anyone that is a great quarterback. It's with four man pressure. And if there's anyone who can get four man pressure on Patrick Mahomes, it's the San Francisco 49ers. If I told you that the 49ers would win the Super Bowl, who would you put as the favorite to be the Super Bowl MVP? Nick Bosa. Yep. Me as well. Just like Von Miller. Can you imagine becoming a Super Bowl champion and a Super Bowl MVP in your rookie year? That'd be insane. 
That'd be insane. And on the flip side, Patrick Mahomes becomes, if he wins the Super Bowl, he would become the youngest quarterback ever to win MVP or player ever to win MVP or to win MVP and be a Super Bowl champion. He would do it by and three. And he would win Super Bowl MVP. Right. Too. And he would do it by three years. Brett Favre is the youngest right now. He did it at 27. Patrick Mahomes is 24. One thing to keep in mind here, though, is that while if that happens, everyone will be thinking like, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes is going to win six Super Bowls. Or, you know, um, that's what everyone was thinking when Aaron Rodgers made it. And won it. Uh, and they're gonna, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say everyone. No. Yeah, everyone. A lot of people <laughs> thought they might have a dominant run. I think with Aaron Rodgers, the Packers have won the division six times out of 12. 50%. When John Elway was the Broncos quarterback, they won the division, I think, seven years out of 16. So just under 50. Not good enough. Yeah. The Seahawks have won uh, with Russell Wilson – three out of eight. And I think they could probably kind of get that a little closer to 500 over time. The point being, you're usually within – the Saints, I think, have won six out of 14 with Drew Brees, the NFC South. So it's basically what? It's either at 500 or within one game above 500. What about Peyton Manning? I think they're – I believe they are one game above 500 That's with it? the Colts. Now, with the Broncos, of course, they were four for four. What about a guy named Tom Brady? That's the unicorn. <laughs> what is he? Sixteen or nineteen? Yeah. Uh, well, remember he didn't Are play they sixteen straight. He didn't though? play in twenty oh eight, so I don't count mm-hmm. that. So effectively, twenty oh one to twenty nineteen minus twenty oh eight. So it, for Tom Brady, it would be seventeen out of eighteen. So what? What year did he miss? Oh two. Was it the Dolphins? Oh my gosh. So he's on. The Dolphins won in the year he was hurt in week oh. one. I kind of throw, I'm throwing that out. So I said it's really 17 of 19. It was the Jets who won the division in 2002. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Patriots, they were 9-7. and seven. I'm going to check it here. So since 03, they, he's won 16 straight divisions when he's played more than one game. Yep. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and and the oh by the way, the year the Patriots did not win the division with Tom Brady as their starting quarterback, they tied for the division lead. They the Jets, Patriots, Dolphins were all nine and seven. The Jets won the tiebreaker. Also, it's important to keep in mind that the best quarterback that any of these teams have had while he was there is Mark Sanchez. That's a good point. Well, actually, based on best quarterback as it turned out maybe it was ryan Tannehill. or <laughs> but he just didn't Josh play that yeah, well. <laughs> exactly i would give it to one of the young guys right now or chad pennington actually you'd have to chad pennington remember he was the jets quarterback for a while oh, yeah. and then he was the dolphins starter Ugliest the year the Do- the year that the year the dolphins won in 2008 when brady was hurt so uh, it's 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 the best of a weak crop but i'm gonna say chad pennington all I well, know is that Drew Locke is to Patrick Mahomes what Tom Brady has literally never had. <laughs> well, Ryan, you say an interesting thing about Mahomes and, and trying to be realistic about it and, and view it optimistically. I've personally had a great couple days, just not, not even taking a step back. I've been doing some articles and stuff. But my opinion and thoughts on the Broncos has not been good in a lot of things. And one of them is this. It's become clear Patrick Mahomes is on track to be the greatest quarterback ever. And, and like you said, you know, a lot of people are going to jump to that. But 
It's understandable. He, and what I realized this week, he is one D Ford offsides away from going to back-to-back Super Bowls in his first two years, being an MVP in the league, what, a top three, top two quarterback this year? There's no slowing down, and I know we've said on this podcast a few times that, well, once the Chiefs have to pay him, they're slowing down. No. He's going to make his— He's going to be that— good where it, it won't matter what he's making he's not the the chiefs are going to be he's he's going to he, he's going to make his future receiving targets better because he he won't have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey forever but he's good enough to where he's going to make those guys better the question becomes what can they do on the defensive side and can they kind of avoid being in shootout mode just the, but the, look it's fair to say that it in the Patrick Mahomes era, you can, as a Bronco fan, unfortunately, expect the Chiefs to win the division 50% of the time. More. Way more. No. Sorry. No. More. 50, think about 50%. Peyton Manning. Just think about Peyton Manning for a second. Yep. He is probably the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. Yep. I agree. And they were only one over half when he was in Indianapolis. Yep. Yeah. So what is what makes Patrick Mahomes so different? Patrick now, Mahomes is it had in his first two years has been way better than any quarterback ever. But here's the warning I will give you on Peyton Manning that uh, a bunch of the years when he did not and he and the Colts did not win division titles came early in his career, from ninety eight through oh two. Even then, he only won two Super Bowls. Like even the most dominant. Don't win that. Don't win that much. I mean, and the other the team that had the best sustained challenge to Manning and the Colts was the Titans. It comes down because to- they had a league MVP of their own and Steve McNair for a decent chunk of that. And then when McNair moved on, they were able to get a a revival season out of Kerry Collins, and they had that one. You remember when Chris Johnson and Lendale White just ran over everybody? Yep. And they actually had a a, a one seed in the AFC, in the midst of the Colts' run, but then they had a narrow window. It turned out that was a one-year window team, and they bombed out in the playoffs. I mean, to just look at like the, the quarterbacks and stuff who have had historic success, and I'm talking about in terms of Super Bowls, it's Brady, it's Joe Montana, who am I missing here, um, that have won you know, more Bradshaw. than two. Terry Bradshaw. Okay. Uh, Bart Starr won two Super Bowls, but the Packers also won three NFL titles before that. So you presume they would have won five. How many did Aikman in the... Aikman had three. Okay. What is something that's a common thread with all of these teams? We're talking about the Steelers, the 49ers. Um, now I'm blanking on who we just mentioned. The Cowboys, the, Cowboys. the 60s Packers. And the Packers. I what, just, do, what, I, do all those things, what do all those teams have in common? Well, they all had Hall of Fame coaches. They're all historic, historic franchises. The best franchise of all. They were able to be successful almost all the time. And the reason I mention that is because the Chiefs are not that. And history would tell us that the, even the best quarterbacks, if they get to a franchise – that isn't a historically dominant franchise are not going to win as much as you think they okay, are. Okay, but here's the, the here's They're the counterpoint though. What were the 49ers before Joe Montana and Bill Walsh showed up? 
what were the Packers before Vince Lombardi comes oh, in and maximizes Bart Starr. Uh, the, the Cowboys are kind of the example because they had the great years with Tom Landry. The Steelers were garbage for their in, almost their entire history before they hire Chuck Knoll and then in back-to-back drafts pick at the top of the draft Mean Joe Green and Terry Bradshaw. So, and the Patriots, the Patriots were until they were good in the 90s with Bill Parcells, Drew Bledsoe, and after Bob Kraft bought the team. Bob Kraft had a massive impact on what that franchise became because the Patriots were kind of a cheaply run backwater joke for most of their history. All of these teams had, except the Cowboys before Aikman came in, all of these teams were kind of regarded as jokes before these people came in. So the fa- So just because the Chiefs have been a little bit of a punching bag. They've come close. They've had some good teams with Marty Schottenheimer, Derek Thomas, but you know we in Broncos country have kind of you know, made a lot of jokes at their expense. Just because they've been that punching bag for nearly a half century doesn't mean they can't go forward and be dominant with the combo they have right now. I'm not saying they're not going to win a bunch of division titles and make noise in the playoffs just about every year, but... I think you're crazy, Zach, to just start handing them Super Bowls. Well, I didn't say. Think, I didn't necessarily you, say Super Bowls. Okay, but be, the division crown. Before before oh, I yeah, go before I go, do you win a lot of divisions. more than fifty percent? Do you think what I'm saying is fair? Before I have to go step away here, the, to expect them to win the division half the time. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't even think that's um, that's like a scary thought. And how much of the rest of it that the Broncos can do of that other fifty percent? The most important guy right now to determining how many of those other years they win is number three. Yep, yep. Drew With, without a doubt. And Mace, before, or I guess as you're, as you're stepping out, you said Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do it on his own without a very good defense uh, in, in order because they're going to be paying him a lot of money. Well, last year... They were the ninth worst defense, giving up 27 points per game, and look what he did as a rookie. They got to the AFC Championship, but, but it, that's it. None of the top it, 11. No, no, like no, no, I no. said though, a, they are a D Ford. Not just not just offsides, and he affected the play. He just lined up offsides. So really, they are that away from making the Super Bowl. But Ryan, like I said, I, I'm not necessarily thinking about Mahomes having seven Super Bowls more than more than Brady. Just in terms of his regular season success and what that means for the Broncos is, I've never felt worse about it. And I'll say this also about the Chiefs of last year: no team that scored 530 points in the regular season or more has ever won a Super Bowl, including those Chiefs last year, including the Ravens this year. Well, I'm not going to hurt. Patrick Mahomes for having a great offense. Well, no, but part of it is the offense does something because it's under pressure because the defense is giving stuff up, and that's why the sweet spot may well be where the Chiefs are right now. It's possible the Chiefs could be a dominant team in division play and conference play, and yet this could represent their best shot for a few years well, because fair. they're going to start fair. taking hits on that defense as soon as March. And I, and, and I just don't think the hits on the defense are going to affect them at all in the regular season. They won't. The regular season is going to be a pain in the, you know what, for a long time for this team. That's just the facts. Um, the dominant quarterbacks with dominant offenses always do great in the regular season. 
the Broncos, it doesn't even matter. To me, it doesn't matter um, how many of the crown, the division crowns that they get. They just have to worry about making the playoffs mm -hmm. because dominant offenses just take care of teams throughout the regular season. They're going to have three or four games every year that are going to be tough games. The rest are probably going to be pretty easy for them. The Broncos just have to focus on get into the playoffs and see what happens then. Exactly. And kind of wrapping this up with the Eli Manning conversation, Ryan, in those two playoffs where Eli went and won the Super Bowl, do you know his combined touchdown to interception ratio? And it's not perfect. In the playoffs? In the playoffs. Three to one. 15 total touchdowns, two interceptions. So was really seven close. and a half to one. Incredible. Incre and, and that's what you need. That's what you need to get in, just like the Patriots did. Weren't they nine and seven one of those years? They got in as a wild card team. And then you just got to be clutch. And you know who I think can be clutch just from the, the little we know about him right now is Drew Locke. I don't think he's going to be phased by the moment. And that's, that's what you need. You need to be good enough to get in and then hope that your defense can be dominant like the 2015 Broncos or your quarterback can go 15-2. and two. This is where with um, hindsight being 2020 on our side, I actually look back and say, like, maybe John Elway did have a good plan here getting Vic Fangio. Because you are not going to beat Patrick Mahomes with offense. Um, it's going to be really hard. I mean, look at just, you know, history tells us Peyton Manning, there was no one in the AFC South who could beat him at throwing the ball. Right. Uh, you know, you just go through it. And the answer is always there's no one else who could really keep up with those teams offensively. The way that you beat them is with, honestly, with defense, but not just defense, running the ball, um, which – would have lent more to sticking with Rich Gangarello and, and the, you know, the West Coast running game, which there is still going to be that sort of thing. But no one set up – like, the this would be really interesting, and I'm just praying that the 49ers are able to do this because they are set up the way that you're supposed to be set up to beat this team, 100%. Yep. They're exactly what you need, except for maybe they're missing a dominant running back. And I know Raheem Mostert just went off. But if you took the 49ers and put one of the better running backs in the league, Derek Henry. Yeah, if you put Derrick Henry <laughs> on that team, they are the team that's supposed to beat them. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, I've been saying it for a while now that, that the Chiefs are going to win. But How do you feel about that today? What, eight, nine days before? Uh, it's kind of like a Buffs game when they're playing a team that is way better than them. When when the last game ends and I start thinking about that game, I'm like, the Buffs have no chance. <laughs> and then the closer I get to the game, the more I start thinking about uh, how the other how you know the Buffs can win the game. That's how I am with the 49ers right now. So, so I still am not. I'm just I'm learning how to um, build confidence around the 49ers. I'm the complete opposite. On Monday, I felt really good about the 49ers. Now, it's the Chiefs. Right now, I'm feeling the Chiefs are going to win this game, even knowing about how what happens when a great defense goes up against a great offense in the Super Bowl. It's it's the Chiefs, but hey, maybe in a week I feel different. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I think it's going to be a good game. I saw some report come out that like many NFL executives believe that the Chiefs are going to win in a blowout or something like that. Hmm. Um, I actually think it's going to be a good game. I think so too. 
I just, I think we oftentimes get caught up in the moment and we see how good Patrick Mahomes looks right now and we see how good that team looks and we just say like, you can just pencil him in for the Super Bowl for, for the time being. And yeah. I don't think it's that simple. And it's just, it's what the entire country did with the Broncos in 2013, including all of Denver, but also the whole nation. And it's what everyone did outside of Denver with Carolina. Remember, the Panthers were 17-1 and with an MVP quarterback going up against the Broncos. Now, Ryan, you and I were pretty confident that the Broncos are going to pull it up. No one gave them a chance. Weren't they seven and a half point dogs? Yeah, I actually didn't feel good about it until I got down to Santa Clara. Mm. And I just kind of looked around at both teams. I was at their press conferences and I was like, felt the vibes, man, Carolina really feels like they're pretending to be confident. Like, Mm. you know, like they want everyone to think they're really confident. Cam gives that, doesn't he? Yes. And I was like, the Broncos are just, this is just business as usual. They're just acting like they always do. Right. And that's when I started to feel like, ah, okay, this defense is going to be able to, and I mean like off the record players were telling me like, if we just make Cam throw the ball, they're in big trouble. Yeah. Like, I was like, man, that's, you know, and it wasn't in this, like, tough guy saying it in front of the media type of thing. In the media, they were saying all the right things about Cam, really. And behind the scenes, they were like, this guy can't beat us with his arm. Yeah. Looking back now, that team, I'm, it's amazing they went 17-1. and one. Yeah. I mean, they were rolling, and they were – early on in the kind of zone read that type of stuff that people were having a really hard time stopping and they were getting you know four four yards four or five yards of carry just running the ball and yep once you can do that things get really tough yep and it gets really tough when you have number 58 coming off the corner the number one thing that does not make me feel good about the super bowl is the fact that jimmy g is probably going to have to lead some really really clutch drive some like not to convert some third and nines when they're losing i mean just all it takes is one bad drive to lose to the chiefs yep they score a touchdown you come out and go three and out i mean you might as well just end the game and then what's what's scarier on top of that is understanding the chiefs can have a bad quarter the chiefs can have a bad half a terrible half and it's not over. That's um, that's what I mean. You have to be so relentless. Yeah. You cannot get, you cannot let them get rolling. No. And the way you do that is by possessing the ball. And again, they have not faced a front like they're about to face. No. So keep that in mind too, because it's going to change everything. You know, it's it is a timing offense, and they are able to get off script and do that sort of stuff, but. You can't do it every play. And if and if Nick Bosa and company are just blowing up that offensive line over – I feel like we're going to know really fast. If they're getting through consistently, they have a chance. I agree. If, if the Chiefs go down 14-0 in the first quarter – I think we're going to know if they have a shot of coming back. If it, if it was off a, a pick six, just a bad read by Mahomes, well, yeah, the Chiefs can absolutely come back. But if I, if they can't stop that defensive front, that's not going to change in the third quarter, in my opinion. They're not going to figure out, oh, okay, ah, now we know how to stop Nick Bosa. Right. It, but, but, you know, and then you, Mahomes is going to make some plays, some crazy plays. So, again, it's up to the 49ers. You are going to give up a touchdown. 
at some point. It's going to happen. Yeah. Your next offensive drive is everything. Mm-hmm. Just, that's what's happened both of these times. And, I mean, the, the Texans couldn't have messed it up any worse. Um, they – was it their f- – was that when they did the fake punt? Yeah. Right after the first touchdown? Heck, I actually commend them for it because they knew it was coming. If you go three and out and give it right back, you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They were in big trouble either way. Yeah, they were. And, uh, man, when you were talking about what Jimmy G is going to have to do, I was just thinking – Kyle Shanahan's going to have to ask Jimmy G to maybe throw twice on a drive sometimes. <laughs> no, that's the thing. is, I think he's going to have to throw the ball yeah. 30 times in this game. Yep. Yep. Man, if he wants to prove that he's this winning quarterback and can have this great record, if, if he wins a Super Bowl, then he's going to go from like, what is he? People think like maybe an above average quarterback right now, like kind of in between 10 and 15, a guy that can guide a team. If he wins this one, he's going to be, you know, top five, borderline top five, just because of one game. He'll also have three rings. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy. And what is he? 27? Uh, ish. Sounds about right, man. Could you imagine him ending his career with more rings than Brady, even if two of them weren't were, were him on the sideline? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess one of those he played. The first three, two games of the season? Yeah. So he actually gets so a he can credit, credit for those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they probably wouldn't have gotten the one seed if they lost those games. No. So. No, they went 2-0 and with him. So he gets credit for one of them. Yeah. One of them he just, whatever. Yep. But yeah, he'd have three Super Bowl rings. Wow, that is crazy. Well, I can't feel good about it. Get good for him now if he wins one. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God. Someone asked me like, what, like, what do we do about the Chiefs? You know, t- kind of this sort of conversation. I just said, you just hope that the Super Bowl is Patrick Mahomes' kryptonite, right? Because he is Superman. Yep. But everyone has their kryptonite and hey i'm i'm not giving the chiefs super bowls yet like i said i am so scared of the chiefs for what they do in the regular season but they do especially andy reed has to pass that hump and maybe there's nothing there to it or maybe he does overthink things when he gets into big games and you have definitely too much time to prepare for a super bowl where you can overthink things so i'm not giving this to andy reed until he does it and that's another thing Two weeks to prepare always favors the defense. It's why betting, you know, betters love unders in bowl games hmm. because you have all that time to prepare. You know, you can't – you are what you are at this point of the season. Right. And they have every single – you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala are going to be able to watch every single Chiefs game ten times if they want to. So that's that's why that's one of the reasons why defenses usually succeed in these games. Yep. Okay. Long first segment. <laughs> Shout out to Breckenridge Brewery. We got a little something up our sleeves. I'm not gonna Ooh. give anything away, but uh, we got something cool coming next week with Breckenridge Brewery. So just you know, keep your ears open and your wait. eyes peeled. I can't wait. Weekend can never go quick enough. Exactly. And what better to drink a Breckenridge beer with than Zach? Some Bo Joe's pizza and, of course, the legendary 
Colorado Mountain Pie. Guys, it's the only place that you can get the Colorado Mountain Pie. And let me tell you, it's undefeated. You get whatever toppings you want. Hatch green chili on there. There's a Mountain Man pizza just loaded with meat. It's locals favorite. And also, if you guys are just coming through town, maybe you're going to the mountains and you want to truly embrace the mountain lifestyle, you have to stop by one of their five front range locations. If you're just coming into Denver, make sure you check out Bojo's because they do something so unique. They bake their dough with honey, mm. and then you also get the fresh honey to put on the dough. That's as, as we've talked about before, we even partnered with Bojo's. It's undefeated. It's the only way to eat pizza. It, it is the only way to eat pizza. And when you're there, they'll hook you up with a free honey cheese bread. So you get a free honey cheese bread, which is baked with the honey. Then you also get a Colorado mountain pie, and they have Breck brews there. Then you top it all off with the honey on the crust after. It is, it's perfect. There's no no place where you could get as much honey bread and cheese <laughs> all together. And, and what's better than honey bread and cheese? Nothing. Few Nothing. things. With Breck beers paired on top of that. So make sure you check them out when you head in. And also, make sure to mention DNVR for that free honey cheese bread hookup. So make sure you check them out. That's B-E-A-U-J-O-S dot com to visit their website or check out one of their five front range locations. Not to uh, stray from Bojo's, which would be a great cheat meal, but I had a... A near week moment last night. Oh, I had an early dinner. Okay. And um, I was sitting here um, and I just, I got hungry around 1030 and I was just like, man, what can I have? And I looked around the house. There wasn't much. And then it happened. Taco Bell came into my mind. Oh no. (laughs) But be proud, Zach. I fought it. With every inch, with every ounce of strength mm, I have, very proud, and just force myself <laughs> to go to bed. Dang, you didn't even have anything. Nope, that's impressive. Fought it off. Can you have beans? No. Yeah, then Taco Bell's kind of out. Yeah, there's no, everything I mean, about you, it. You could ask for like a cup of chicken or something. Yeah, like and that. that's uh, their meat is probably the last thing you want to eat just you, by itself. If you're gonna have their meat, you definitely want it drenched in sauce, oh, cheese. Yes. And tortillas. Oh my gosh, yeah. But I guess we should probably stop talking about it. Yeah, we'll stop talking about that (laughs) and move on to the questions. Before we do, some sad news. Our streak of five star reviews has come to an end. Oh no. Is it was it me? No. Good. Good. We we got hit with a three star. Oh. uh, because essentially they just said they didn't like the comments. They didn't oh. like the, that part of the podcast. Wow, so they don't like you guys. So if you love us and you love leaving comments, maybe you should go leave us a review to counteract mm, that one. Yes, we need that. We need all the love we can get. No three stars. But shout out to everyone who has commented lately. I do really appreciate it. And like I said, I, do, I really do check it every day to see if any, if any new ones come in. And whenever they do, especially the five-star ones, it brightens up my day. <laughs> it does. So thank you guys so much. First one coming in from World of Suck. I've been catching up on pods for a while, but wanted to give my quick Shermer take. Ryan has said many times that the best strategy is to do what your opponent doesn't want you to do. We all know that Vic never seemed deeply fond of Skangs, and maybe that's because Vic watched Gangrello's offenses and thought to himself that he wouldn't mind having to face the iteration of the Broncos' offense himself. On the other hand, Vic has gone head-to-head with Shermer on a few occasions, and they were very and they were division rivals. Shermer was undefeated against Vic's defenses. I really don't think Vic makes this bold of a move unless he's had some long nights trying to prepare for Shermer's offenses, and that's why I love this move. 
maybe the best case I've heard yet for yeah. why they made this move. Yeah. Um, do you know who had the number one offense in football last year? Uh, the Ravens. No, not not this season. Oh. Last season. Oh. Um, the, I'm not going to get sucked in and say the Giants. I'll say the Chiefs. No. Yeah. No. It was <laughs> the or it was the Rams. Okay. Oh. Right. They were above the Chiefs. Okay. Do you know how many points the Rams scored against Vic Fangio's defense? Six. Six points. Yeah. That's that is Rich Gangarello, Kyle Shanahan style. It's not exactly the same, but at its peak, the best it can possibly be. Vic Fangio just walked in there and it was like, "Get out of my way." Yeah. Shut him down. They got beat by Mitch Trubisky, handily. Who? Yeah, exactly. So. You make a really good point here. And I don't think Vic would be so high on Pat Shermer if he didn't have a hard time preparing for his defense. Absolutely. For his and, offense. And it's clear that Pat Shermer was Vic's guy, and yet the two have never worked with each other. So why is he Vic's guy? Well, probably because of exactly what you said, World of Sucks. So it's a good point. But Ryan, John Elway down at the Senior Bowl, uh, still not letting go of what this offense could be and what his ideal offense is. He said that there's still going to be uh, a lot of concepts and a lot of carryover from the Broncos offense last year to what Pat Shermer is going to do this year. Do you buy that? Is that something that Vic had to tell John in order to move on from Rich Scangarello and bring in Pat Shermer was, look, it's going to be a little more innovative. We're going to do a little more passing, but don't worry, John, 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 I promise you. I, Pat's already told me we're going to have a lot of these West Coast offenses that you like play action. You love that, John. We're still going to do that under center. We love it, even though Pat doesn't like under center. We, he loves it, John. He's going to do that. Do you expect this offense to look similar? No. Oh, good. No. <laughs> yeah, no. John said it like something uh, this week about it being a run first off. Yep. Give me yep. an, an absolute <laughs> break. There's no way. Yeah. I hope not. I hope not because John believes it's going to be under center play action where Pat Shermer, just the history, would say Daniel Jones was in shotgun 75% of the time last year. Do you think that um, Vic Fangio thinks that he knows more about football than John Elway? Yes, without a doubt. I think so too. (laughs) And I think that in in Vic's head, he's just like, just tell him whatever he needs to hear. And when we get out there and start scoring 28 points a game, Yep. He'll shut up. John's not going to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting question we've never asked before. Does Vic Fangio think he is a s- smarter football person than John Elway? At, whenever you're at that level, I think you have to. I think there are very few people that Vic Fangio would think are smarter football people than he is. Yep. And, and I like that confidence from him a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know if, how – like. Kyle Shanahan. Do you think Vic Fangio thinks he knows more about football than Kyle Shanahan? Yes, absolutely. So, like, where does he draw the line? Belichick and list? Probably. That'd be that'd be smart. And also, Vic, I, and I don't know if Vic thinks this, but you can make a case that Vic says, look how I got to where I am. It's because of how much I know and how good I am. I've rose from the high school ranks to being a head coach. John Elway was a great quarterback. And that's how he got to be where he is now. Not because he knows a lot, but because he was a good quarterback. Who do you think knows more? <laughs> oh, boy. I got to trust Vic. I, I think it's Vic, too. And mostly based on the point you just made. 
Right. Everything that he's had to do, and and I mean, we're splitting hairs here in terms of offense, defense. You know, maybe you could say John knows more about offense, but even then, I just think everything Vic has done has been based off of knowledge, not right. talent. Right. And obviously, you have to have talent. There's a, there's a talent in there in terms of calling defenses and calling games, and so, but pretty much everything he does is earned. Yep. 100%. So, I I think it's a, it's fair to say that. I think so too. Next one, oh, just lost it. Oh, coming in from Count Locula. He says, "Gents, I don't mean this as a slight, but am I correct in thinking Emmanuel Sanders has been more valuable as a decoy than an actual receiving threat in Shanahan Jr.'s offense?" Don't worry, we don't take that as a slight at all. I don't feel like we talk much about decoys or guys that simply have to be guarded as a as a chess piece as much as we should. In that light, who could be a free agent we could add or keep, Riddick perhaps, that could play a similar role in the Shermer scheme? A guy that could draw coverage off Sutton. Would Robbie Anderson do the trick, or will he cost too much? Love the count. Yes and yes. Can he do the trick? Yes. Does he cost too much? Yes. Yeah, I'm not doing Robbie Anderson. I don't. I just don't know why we we uh, why we want receivers in free agency. To me, Robbie Anderson not even taking in price, is a B-minus guy. Any receiver you get your hands on in the first round at 15 is an A. Should be. Yes, right, if, if, if you identify the right one. If correctly, yeah. And then you put the value on that in terms of price, Rob Anderson's getting paid a lot. So I put his value at a D-plus, a C-minus, and you put the first-round pick at an A-plus. Yeah, I think um, it is – just it would be silly to spend big money on a free agency on a free agent wide receiver. Yeah. If you want to get a tier two, mm-hmm. tier three guy, I'll listen. Sure. Depending on the player, but. And to answer your question, yes, Emmanuel Sanders has been more of a decoy. Although I his stats have actually been better than I thought. I, I went. I was getting ready to you know put together a tweet on how everyone freaked out over week one and week two in that offense, and then he kind of disappeared. It hasn't really been a disappearing act. But he is used to clear out space for Debo and George Kittle in the middle. That's a huge part of his role. I mean, he's had two huge games. Outside of that with San Francisco, he's had one game above 41 yards. The rest have been below that. Wow. Yeah. But one of the huge games was towards the end of the season, wasn't it? It was the sick. Oh, yes. In terms of non-playoffs, it was the fourth to last game. 157 yards. So this is, this is a guy who can clearly still go off, but that means other teams have to respect him, and Kyle Shanahan's used him as a decoy. Would you bring back Theo Riddick at the exact same price you paid him this year? Nope. He's got to be cheaper. A little less. It was $3 million this year? Yeah. One guaranteed? Veteran minimum. Maybe you go slightly above that. I'm – gosh, I mean, but $3 million isn't a lot. Two and a half, two. I'd do two. I feel like it's, and this is not the way you're supposed to play things, but it's almost like, man, we got to get something out right. of this guy. Right. Uh, you would hope that he would take a discount, but I can't say there'd be a hometown discount that he would be willing to offer since he's, this isn't a hometown at all. Yep. Very true. Next one's from TrueUte59. Hey guys, I'm a new subscriber as of today. Woo. We got him. And I'm glad to be a part of the family. It's good to have somewhere to go to hear all my Broncos news straight from the horse's mouth. Nice Bronco pun. Question. I'm an athletic trainer from Utah and have heard some stories about Greek and Pat Bolin. Have any of you met Steve and do you have any stories to tell about him? 
Thanks for humoring all the crazed Broncos fans. Looking forward to many more hours spent listening to the pod. I've heard plenty of stories about them. Um, I've also um, heard interesting stories from people who are more in your realm of the world that aren't as glowing as the ones that I've heard from people in the Broncos realm of right. the world. Exactly. He and Pat were best friends. I mean, that that's why Greek was asked to present Pat Bolin in the Hall of Fame. And he uh, he's there. It's in, this Greek will never go away. He may be the hardest worker in the building. He's been there for so long and knows more about the Broncos than anyone. Yep. He knows a lot of things. <laughs> he does. <laughs> knows a lot of things. Uh, from TK Freeze. Oh, wait, Ryan, did you just insult The Office? That show is incredible. How dare you, sir? The Office greater than The Bachelor. And then someone else chimed in and said, can't argue. In fact, obviously, The Office is better than The Bachelor. Okay, well, let's do this. You get to watch one show. What is it? You watching The Office or The Bachelor? Well, The Bachelor is still coming out with new seasons. I've already seen every show, every episode of The Office. That's true. So you'd choose The Bachelor? Yeah. So you're saying The Bachelor? I'm saying I don't need to keep rewatching The Office. That's fair. And if it comes down to one for me, yeah, I'm going, I'm going with The Bachelor. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a like the amount of talent and right um, and quality quick of the wittedness show. and all the work that went into the office is way more than they need the bachelor. The bachelor they just had a good idea that just prints itself yeah. forever. You would give the award to the office, right? Which of course I would too. What did I say? That's overrated. I, probably something it, like that. It is overrated. Or that Jim was your favorite character. Jim I don't know how that would necessarily character. be a, a slight, but yeah, I agree. Although I love Kevin. Oh man, he's the best. He's he's good at making you feel weird. <laughs> he's also hilarious in real life. Mm-hmm. Like he talk, his voice doesn't sound anything like it does in the office. Right, and he's really funny. Yep. Um, he used to go on the Dan Patrick show quite a few times. Really, I loved his oh, hits. They're man. so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Office is a good show. It's a good show. Yeah, it, it, there you go. Not slighting it too bad. J Money Steck ninety seven. Hey guys, first time commenting. Been loving the Senior Bowl pods. Do you think we could go for Tyler Biotich for center in round two, and then trade back into the second to grab Cushenberry and play him at guard, or vice versa? Zach, Zach, and I have a pretty uniform stance on this. Don't draft guys to make them change positions. Yeah, I don't like that. Um. Maybe Mace and Andre would feel differently about that, having seen Cushenberry up close and, and knowing you know his ability to, to move. Dalton Reisner is an interesting one, although he didn't necessarily move. He didn't play the position he was most experienced in, but he had played everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. Yeah, he, he had, I feel so weird about the center position. I don't know. I do not. I can't believe Connor McGovern's eight million dollars. I don't want to pay that. But I don't think John Elway does either. I, I don't think so either. But what do you what do you do if you need a center and a right guard now? I don't want to spend two second round picks. I'm okay with spending two second two of my first three picks on offensive linemen, but one of them's got to be a tackle in that situation. It's it's weird. That's what I have not figured out yet. I think that John Elway looks at center very much the way he looks at linebacker. I think so. They grow on trees. Especially with Mike Munchak. Yep. I think I think there's a pretty good chance Patrick Morris is your starting center. Holy cow. Yeah. 
That'd be that'd be wild. I mean, look look at the evidence that he has now. Okay, mm-hmm. he just fell upon pa- uh, Matt Paradis, and then he was you know Pro Bowl caliber. Then he went, you know, you didn't want to pay him. He went away. You brought in a guy. You switched positions. You put him at center. He had a great season. I think John's just thinking like, and what McGovern was a fifth. Mm-hmm. So just right. Yeah, you don't really have to invest in the center position. What in his would mind. what would it say? If the Broncos let Connor McGovern go and made Patrick Morris their starting center, what would that say about Mike Munchak's evaluation of that position and of Patrick Morris and also of Connor McGovern? It, it would kind of say the same thing, right? I can't imagine John Elway's going to say, uh, Mike Munchak really wants Connor McGovern? Nah, see ya. I have to imagine that or the would other be way a around. stamp of approval. Mike right. Munchak says he doesn't need Connor McGovern. No, no, we need to pay him. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. not happening either. I have to imagine he's listening very closely to Mike on that. Speaking of paying people, mm. we don't have to go too in-depth on this. What did you make of the Broncos moving on from Mike Sullivan? I mean, right in the middle of Mike Sullivan's season? What? Yeah. Now's the time you decide a scapegoat? And it's him? Is that what you think it was? A scapegoat scenario? Yeah. I, what else could it be? This guy's regarded as one of the best. Uh, oh, I've only heard positive things about him coming from the organization itself. Uh, there was a lot of talk when the Broncos were on for, oh, John has to move on from Matt Russell, right? I mean, he's got to have that big of a scapegoat the way things are going. Well, now they recovered it a little bit. You don't need that big of a scapegoat. Why? Why else would you move on from him? Is John blaming um, him for signing Juwan James, signing injured players? No, he doesn't do that. He makes up contracts. So what what I've heard a lot this week is, ah, you know what? Mike Sullivan probably had that brilliant idea of of changing Joe Flacco's contract. Well, we that know was that, a brilliant idea. It, because it doesn't affect him now. And people want to say, ah, they're going to have $13 million in dead money this year because of Joe Flacco, because of doing that. Fire Mike Sullivan. It makes sense. It, it, yes, they do have $13 million of dead cap. But you know what? They rolled over $13 million because of that. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter in that sense. So I don't know why. This has been one of John's guys. Like Matt Russell's his right-hand guy. John hired him months on the job. And he's done a really good job from from everyone around the league. He's a tough negotiator, but isn't John Elway? I'm just I, I don't know what to make of it. It shocks me, especially when you have sixty million dollars to spend right now. I've got it. Mm. Mike Sullivan, great contract negotiator, right? Mm-hmm. Too good at negotiating his own contract. Oh, he hardballed too good. Yep. Ah, and that would be stupid. He felt irreplaceable. Mm. And when you get that sense of power of what are they going to do without me? Right. And you're a professional contract negotiator. (laughs) He probably walked in and was like, I'm going to take them to the bank. Yeah. And John doesn't work like that. No, no. Cause he's just, they're, they're two alike. Right. And John was just like, what are you doing? Like, that's the best explanation I've heard of this. Because from a football standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and especially, it's not like John's been so fed up with him throughout this season that right the right after the season, and he said, you're gone. We're not renewing your contract. Just go. No, this is three weeks after. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, I like that. 
Um, I once saw Mike Sullivan getting on a Spirit Airlines flight. Wow. So Didn't expect that. So he's smart with his money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, maybe he doesn't have to worry about getting fired. Here. Especially with the reports coming out that he doesn't want to retire. This isn't a retirement move. No, this was a, a, a butting of heads, in my opinion. I wonder how much he gets paid. Do you think, what if John just hires himself to that role? Wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. I mean, he essentially played that role in the negotiation with, with Mike, Mike Sullivan. Sullivan. He said, oh, this isn't hard. You just let him go. Oh, well. <laughs> just saying. From Sausage Sang a Harry. Thanks for the insight into the Senior Bowl, guys. Dre, you're by far my favorite DNVR personality. You always seem to have so much fun. Well, we'll pass that on to Dre. <laughs> my question is based off the assessment of Mason Dre on the overall depth of this draft class from pick 25 to 75. <laughs> and the Broncos having four picks within this range. Due to the Broncos' weak roster, how many starters can we expect within this range? So they've got five picks in the top 75. Yep. That is incredible. Yeah. Don't get your expectations over three. And you're in a safe place. It has to be three, though. Just three. Got to get three. You expect three. Has they to. They got to get three. Has to be three. So what? Really, really quickly. Wide receiver. Instant starter. Offensive line. Instant starter. And I'm just trying to think where else they could go. Another wide receiver. <laughs> a, another wide receiver. Cornerback. Is that an instant starter, or is that kind of the, the oddball of being the potential fourth? Man, it does feel like they have to hit on one of these non-first-round <laughs> quarterbacks at and some point. And this will point. probably be a third-round third cornerback. Eesh. Yeah, three. Three is where you should be happy. In, in the same way that John has learned his lesson, or, or not learned his lesson, learned that he doesn't value linebackers and centers, shouldn't he also learn <laughs> that he can't get corners in the third round? And shouldn't he learn to give Alabama players a chance? Just a chance. Yes. I mean, Kareem Jackson, right? That's that's the hope, is that Kareem Jackson broke down the barrier. Or that Pat Shermer and his connection to Nick Saban somehow can talk John one way or the other. Maybe Mike Sullivan was really an anti-Bama guy, and John said, I really want to draft <laughs> these guys, and he's been holding me back. <laughs> Do you have any clue what Mike Sullivan was making? No, I have no idea. I mean, is that a million-dollar job? Is that $750,000? Isn't that a job where you can very clearly see how the, what the value is of it? Like you pay him a million dollars to save you millions of other right. dollars other places. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't count against your cap or anything. Yeah, I think, I think that's a seven, mm. seven figures. And he wanted a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Something similar happened with a, a big-time radio personality around here in the last year. Yep. Just, how could they ever live without me? Yep. And then they say, we can live without you. And, and they say, well, I, I said that you can't, so I have to be strong against yeah, it. Now I'm painted into <laughs> it. And now I'm stuck in this corner. Yep. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one coming in from Brian. Hey, guys, do you think Elway letting go of our contract negotiator was due to us missing on big key free agents, even though he was considered one of the best? Also, finally got around to sending you guys a gift. Should be there by mid next week. Ooh, That's too cool. I can't excited. wait. You know, I hadn't thought about this. Maybe John Elway isn't the hardball negotiator. Maybe he has the Pat Bowen um, 
line of thinking, which is just like, pay the guy whatever he wants. Like, maybe John listened to that podcast we had last week where we were like, how did you lose Calais Campbell over a million dollars? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Do you believe that? No. No. Yeah, I don't either. And certainly. John looks at everything in life as a win-loss scenario. Right. Right. He, which I can oftentimes be guilty of myself. How often is John getting pushed over? Never. By Von Miller? Is that it? Um, like Chris Harris Jr.? I bet you if you asked John Elway, he could tell you some way that he won that situation. Both of them? I don't know about Chris. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real... I mean, the, the Dumb pretty- Valley two-step would be... <laughs> incredible to get that one into uh to tell us how how they won that one yeah like, could impossible. that have played a role maybe was that a mike sullivan idea how can how could handing over three million dollars be the cap guy because it's like a good faith type of thing like let's do this and then we'll be able to use it on the negotiation table next year gosh maybe maybe but I'll tell you what, if John's blaming Mike Sullivan for Juwan James and Bryce Callahan, oh boy, I can't even imagine the blame that's going on. No, there's no way. Can't be. Mike Sullivan's job is has nothing to do with <laughs> medicals. Man, his job seems like one of the best. It seems like you're on the clock from maybe even now. It seems like you're on the clock for three months, maybe, and you get paid seven figures. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to deal with all those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Got to know how to... Like, For all seven these... figures? Yeah, no. Wow. <laughs> I mean, is this... He's essentially an accountant, right? Yeah. He was actually... I think he was a uh, agent, a sports agent for he players was. for 25 years before. Yep. So he learned how to be on... I mean... Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Yep. It's like, a, it's like our guy... Well, not quite. I was going to say it's like our guy Titus Howard who went from being a quarterback to an offensive lineman. Like he sees the <laughs> yep. the world yep. through quarterback's eyes. Right. Mike sees the world through agent's eyes. Yep. Knows where to get him. Yep. <laughs> I actually sat through a seminar with him on how to negotiate contracts. It was fascinating. Wow. And did he did he tell you just when it hardballs, just walk away? Um I I, I have notes. <laughs> Go back and look at them. Um one thing he said is like you can't let it get personal. Like as soon as that happens, you're in big trouble, and right, that's hard to do because as you can imagine, the players coming and tell you how great they are, you have to tell them how not great they are. <laughs> but yet you still want them. You want them, but they're not as good as they think. It's a right. weird line to to tell, and it's very easy for it to get personal. Look at look at uh, Von Miller. Yep, it got very personal. It did. From Chicken Joe, what's up, gentlemen? I just had to uh, get on and gripe about John Elway. John has always been a good salesman, but sometimes he gets a bad rap. Although his swings on several QBs and head coaches have been failures, I think he's one of the better GMs in the league and has shown time and time again that he knows how to put together a roster. For Christ's sake, has any other GM ever created one of the best defenses and one of the best offenses of all time along with two Super Bowl appearances in three years? If you could name any Dark Horse candidates... John Elway might target in the in the offseason. Who would they be and why? P.S. The new DNVR app is great. Thank you guys for saving me the trouble of having to use Safari. Yeah, we have a new app. Uh, make sure you go and grab it from the app store. It's updated. It's nice and smooth. It works great. 
This isn't so. This it wasn't a gripe about John Elway. It was, it was like a defending. gripe about gripes about John Elway. This isn't about John Elway, but Ryan, when I took a step step back these past couple of days, I told you that I I felt worse about the Broncos, and this constant change has really got to me. This is bad. It not just in sports. In what organization do you have constant change and you're constantly succeeding? It it doesn't happen. Look at the Patriots. When when they hire or when someone gets plucked from their team, what do they do? They just build from within. They don't go from the outside. And John said that's what he wanted last year. John said, if we lose Rich Gangarello because he's too good and gets hired to be a head coach, I want Vic Fangio to have built the guy from within to step in. Brilliant, John. I agree with that. One year, not even one year later, fires Rich Gangarello. And the guy who would have filled in, T.C. McCartney. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And you can't have success. And uh, I think Pat Shermer is going to be here for more than one year, but I feel so stupid saying that because I could have said that about Mike McCoy. I could have said that about Bill Musgrave. I could have said that for a different reason about Rich Scangarello. I feel so stupid saying that. But I, th- I, I think he will be. But this constant change. And, th- and then you have uh, the news of Mike Sullivan moving on. Uh, you're, not, you're never going to be successful with this much change. And it's not just New England. Look at Seattle. Look at uh, Andy Reid. As as much as I think that his career is a little overrated because he has never won a Super Bowl, and certainly in the past few years I've taken a big step back on that, even though he still hasn't won a Super Bowl. But when they lose guys, it's just the next guy up that steps in. They're not constantly hiring and firing people. He finally got his defensive coordinator in there, but he's going to be back for another season. You can bet on that. It's You have to have stability, and the Broncos are doing the complete opposite. It's bad, but the 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 counter argument, and and I'm on your side of it. I just would tell you what yeah. they would say is, you have to find the right mix, then you stick with it. Right. Yep. Um, but here's, I, and I talked to a source recently about John Elway, and it falls in line with a lot of the things that sources have told me about John Elway. And I'll ask this to you the way it was proposed to me. Hmm. Would you be surprised if John Elway's hires his lawyer as the new guy who negotiates contracts or his accountant? Without a doubt. No. That's the way it was posed to me, and I think that you can right. understand the undertones beneath that. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to have stability eventually. It will never work this way. And, and the more you talk about that, the more, well, I really don't think they're stupid enough to do this, but... The more it's like, would they take Justin Herbert? Maybe. Right. right. They don't care about civility anywhere else. They, you know, you're always looking for the next best thing. Yeah. What was the the word John used last year when talking about what the offense needs? Continuity. Ah, continuity. And when John talked about that this week, he spoke about it as if we um, put that on him. Is it, yeah. Everyone else has been saying how you need continuity. No, John, you said. You need continuity, and and what was he? What did he say? You need good continuity. It needs to be right. I agree with that. If you hire the wrong head coach, like the Arizona Cardinals did two years ago, I do believe it's better to move on from him right away, like after one year, which they did with with Steve Wilkes, 
and find that right guy right after. But when you do that literally five years straight, I know it's not with the head coach, but with the offensive coordinator, that's an issue. If you plant a tree and expect it to turn into a redwood, right? you know, uh, in a year, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Now you can maybe go buy a redwood. And I think that's what they keep think thinking they're doing. Right. But then the roots never go. And yeah, by, by the time the roots may be reaching, they chop it down. So that's these things are developed. Thank <laughs> you. I was trying to figure out how to go with the relationship. I mean, usually at least the best relationships you usually know pretty fast. <laughs> um, but these things take time. You have to grow something. And while we maybe at certain points got our expectations a little out of whack for Rich Gangarello, we did come back at the end of this season and say, you know what? It was a little unrealistic to expect it to just work right away. Mm-hmm. And even Rich Gangarello told us that. And he was right. This offense takes time. It took Kyle Shanahan three years to get here. And a quarterback. Because without the quarterback, the offense never worked. Now you have one year under the, under the belt. It's just the thing that bothered me was acting like like we put continuity on. <laughs> yeah. You put continuity on us, and we listened to you and agreed with you. Yeah. So. And so the only constant in all of this change, there's been two. It's John Elway and Joe Ellis. So that's I'm not calling for John Elway's job, but it is ignorant to just ignore that they've been the only stability with all this change. Next one's from Iceman. Hey, friends. Mace, appreciate you and Dre bringing us up to speed on the four-year starters that will be in the 2020 draft. Get home safely, kids. Go Broncos, Drew, Dalton, and DNVR. And we can confirm that the boys are home safely. They are here safely. Next one from Broncos 2020. Hey, fellas. Wanted to start off by saying I think PB&J is a punch food that is a great fill-in for other meals. The same way that breakfast is effective at dinner, PB&J is effective at almost any time of day but that doesn't make it a dinner food if you have pb and j for dinner you're having lunch for dinner it's great but it's not dinner to me it's lunch or a snack it's not breakfast i pretty much go if it's lunch it's dinner if it's dinner it's lunch you know a hamburger for me truly is dinner but it's 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 lunch like i'm not like who i'm getting a hamburger for lunch but if you have to add, if I had to put it somewhere, I'd put it for dinner. Yeah, there are certain things like if you have steak and lobster for lunch. <laughs> oh, right. That that would be crossing the line. Right. You're really going like, <laughs> first of all, congrats on the money. Um, I want to know what your dinner is. Then. <laughs> yeah, right. See, like, I think if you do that, you end up not eating dinner. And then yeah. that was just your dinner. Or you have a PB&J. One PB&J. That's true. <laughs> yeah, anytime, even like a burger. Sometimes I eat a burger for lunch, Yeah. and then I don't end up eating dinner. I probably might have a PB&J yeah, if, it, right? if that's in the uh, right. rotation. <laughs> so I agree with you, though. Sand- like a sub sandwich, that is lunch or dinner. Yeah. Probably if I had to put it in one, it's probably lunch more so. Yep. But, yeah. but I would never think like, oh, should I go to um, 
Jersey Mike's for dinner? Uh, no, that's not dinner. Right, exactly. He says, quick question for you. If you were GM of the Broncos for free agency, what would you do? What, who would you bring back at what price? Would you bring in and for how long? Guys like Chris Jones at a premium next to Shelby Harris is tantalizing with less expensive names like James Bradbury to keep prices reasonable for filling needs in a system that Fangio can use to optimize every or even average talent seems perfect. Also, I've kind of loved the idea of bringing Matt Moore to be the backup. He'd be familiar with the system. He'd be a good mentor. He'd be inexpensive. He's a higher rated backup quarterback. It just seems perfect to bring him in. Thoughts? I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but I don't hate that idea. Yeah, he'd, he'd be fine. Um, you're not bringing in Chris and Shelby. No, Chris Jones. I'm saying Shelby Harris just uh just hired <laughs> Rosenhaus. He's going to get absolutely paid. If you're the Broncos, the second that happens, you just took his file and put it in the trash, right? Yo, ab- absolutely. I know you really like Chris Jones, so this may be a stupid question. You can have Shelby for twelve, and that may be generous. <laughs> Or you can have Chris Jones for 20. Which one are you doing? Chris Jones for 20, and Shelby's not – you're not getting him for 12. He has 14. Rosenhaus. Yeah. 14, 16? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're it's paying around him, the 15 uh, mark. You're saying he is an, a, an elite defensive lineman is what you're going to end up having to pay him like. And so you would just rather pay elite, elite money for – I would too. Here's, I would too. I like Shelby. I like him as a player. I like – the things that he does on the field. I like what he brings to a defense. You see where I'm going here? Mm-hmm. I don't love him. don't it. love him. Yeah. And I've, I've said I pay elite pit players elite money. I don't play very good players elite money. And that's what Shelby's looking for with Drew as his agent. Um, and that means that Drew Rosenhaus also thinks that he can oh, get him that money. Oh, yeah. He's not just taking clients oh, who no. he doesn't think can get paid. And with Shelby, I wouldn't be surprised to see similar production as Malik Jackson, wherever he goes next. And that's that's not a slight to him, but that's I'm not paying 15 for that. Nope. From VGK Bronco, finally got caught up in all those marathon pods over the last week, all of which were great. First, so the food that could be eaten for all three meals is steak. For example, <laughs> steak and eggs for breakfast, steak sandwich for lunch, steak for dinner. It's kind of like the burrito thing, right? You can have a breakfast burrito, you can have a lunch burrito, you can have a dinner burrito. We're saying one thing that doesn't change. If you have a piece of steak with a one sauce and potatoes that's dinner you're not, not having that for breakfast you're not having that for breakfast why is this so hard <laughs> right you can't change it nothing about the meal can change <laughs> are we still looking for one besides potentially pb and j and i think like people have made good cases as for why pb and j doesn't fit for me it definitely fits um and for for them other things might fit but the thing that keeps getting blurred here is the main rule <laughs> it can't change <laughs> yeah. It's not like we're saying you should have PB&J and orange juice for breakfast, PB&J, you know, like... And whiskey for dinner. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's PB&J. It doesn't need to... It, you don't need to add anything, right. in my opinion. And, and if you were going to add anything, it would be like a glass of milk, which you would have at all three. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's you make it min- at midnight. You put the same meal in the fridge, and you just randomly choose one for each meal. So they got to be the same. Yes. (laughs) That's good. You got to put them all in the day before and you have to pick them with a blindfold. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I will say will change a little bit, which I don't think disqualifies it, is if I'm having it for dinner, I will put on a thicker layer of peanut butter. Fair. Okay. I'll I'll give that to you. He goes on. Second, living in Vegas and looking at the skyline of the city, I can't imagine. 
I can't get the image of a giant Roomba out of my head since you mentioned on the pod. <laughs> Third, after listening to Ryan and also Howard Stern talking about The Bachelor, I gave it a watch and I'm getting weirdly drawn <laughs> into the show. Let's go. The Bachelor definitely seems like he could be Trevor Simeon's derpy pilot cousin. Oh my God, I see it so much. Who would you rather hang out with, Peter or Trev? Trev. Me too. What? Not even close. No. I, I wouldn't. If you offered me to hang out with Peter, I might just say, like, oh, I'm busy that night. <laughs> I'm good. And then what if it's like he's bringing his 30 favorite girls with him? <laughs> no comment. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you you believed me. Here's the thing is I don't think I've talked to anyone that has truly given it an opportunity, like a full episode, and they've said, no, nope, it wasn't entertaining. I didn't like it. I can't believe you told me to do that. No, it, if you watch a 30-second commercial, yeah, you could probably be like, no way am I watching that trash. If you give it a chance, I haven't heard any bad reviews. Or if you go in with like a bad attitude, like you 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 want to watch the Nuggets game and your girlfriend's like, no, The Bachelor is on. Right. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> all right, whatever. And right. then you're like scrolling on your phone the whole time. And then you're like, I hated it. It was dumb. Right. You didn't actually watch it. No. Give it a real chance. Yep. Do that this weekend. Yep. I got Bachelor Friday coming up. Oh, yeah. So you're still behind. Yeah, okay. I'm still behind. Monday. We'll recap. All right. Fine. Uh, finally, a Broncos related question. Is there any chance that Elway is playing some kind of psychological game with Locke and not going all in and naming him the guy? Maybe he wants Drew to feel like he still has to prove himself and therefore giving him more motivation in the offseason. Maybe. Maybe stupid. Speaking of motivation in the offseason, hmm. did you see the Von Miller quotes that came out throughout this week? Mm-hmm. What would you think of those? I, I personally didn't really like him. It was an admission that he slacked last, last offseason. Yep. And then he had one of the worst – he had the worst season of his career. Yep, eight sacks. Which only one time he had less than that, but he was suspended and injured in that season. Yep, and so the comments were – or one of them at least – was that he had a five-week trip planned to Australia. This this season. Th- this this offseason. And at the end of the season, he said – I just had one of my worst seasons. If I have five weeks to spend in Australia, I should be using those five weeks to train instead. Which I love. I like that. I like that he ha- he has that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. But he also said, like, yeah, I just wasn't able to get back and work out with Frank last offseason. And uh, I did train really, really hard, as hard as I ever have. But I didn't train like like I know how. It was like he was saying without – outwardly admitting it he just said that he had a week off season last year yeah and i so that kind of bugged me you get paid 20 million dollars man <laughs> 20 million yeah you don't have to do this that much longer you know you you can retire at the end of this contract and have the rest of your life in front of you to go to australia for five years if you want <laughs> yeah i'm i I don't want to be too hard on Vaughn. I'm just, I'm not okay with him having a lax off season last year. Yeah. I'm not, especially when it clearly translated. And you also think, ah, oh, maybe he thought he was going to have the Vic Fangio boost. He was going to have the Bradley Chubb boost. And he thought, I don't, I don't have to do anything more. And so I, I like that he's going to hell's trainer as they call him this year. Um, and he's done that in the past, but yeah, it does. It does make you wonder. What was he thinking last year? Right. And and again, you get paid so much money. Yeah. You're you got to your job is a 
to stay in shape. Not not stay in shape. He was in shape. Your job is to tune your body to its finest possible capabilities. And I think a guy can take a five-week vacation if they want to do it now and be in 100% shape for the start of the season. And, and even OTAs if you do your work after. So it's not that I'm going to bash anyone that takes a five-week vacation as an NFL player, but when he admits that, he admits that maybe he took that vacation last year and then just gave 80% effort when he came back and not like the 100% or, or whatever it is. But, I mean, he's admitting that something was, was different in a bad way last he year. He didn't work out with that guy. Yeah. He didn't go to Hell's Trainer. And he said, I, I just couldn't get back. What do you mean? What were you doing? All right. Yeah. You couldn't You couldn't or you just didn't? Yeah. And the answer is you just didn't. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Drew Locke's been on a, on a very long vacation right now. Totally fine. He deserves Every player deserves it. Take all of January off. If you want all of February, I don't care. Oh, the vacation thing doesn't bother no, me at all. No, not at all. So we're not saying oh, you, you can't be taking vacations at all. I'm not even saying Von Miller shouldn't go to Australia this summer. No. He should, you know... You can go to Australia, work out every morning, and do whatever else you want to do, and stay Absolutely. in shape for when you come back. But the thing is, he's like he's yeah. he admitted to us, I didn't train as hard last off season. Yep, and that's an issue, especially as you you're only getting older, right? You should, you and he admits that. Yeah, you got to train a little harder. And he's not just getting twenty million dollars this year, Ryan. Do you know who has the highest cap hit on the Broncos this year, including Joe Flacco? Von Miller. Von Miller, twenty six million dollars against the cap yeah and and i realize sometimes it's unrealistic for us to expect them to view it this way but it's the truth like your job is to do everything you can that to perform at the highest of your capabilities that's why you're being paid all that money it's not about the talent obviously that's what gets you in the position to get paid that way but the money that they're paying you is saying like we're giving you all this money now you have to go do everything you can to make sure that you earn it Yep. And Vaughn didn't do everything he could. And he admitted it. Yep. Next Which I, uh, and I commend him for realizing it and acting on it now, but I just, you can't let that happen. I, I totally agree. Next one coming in from Super Bowling. With, when individual players have posted on discussion boards about mental health, I always have been on the side of the situation of being somebody that was willing to help. However, for the first time here, I've experienced the other side of the request. The start of 2020 has not been good to me. For a number of different reasons, but the most present one at this time is the fight that my that my nana, Italian grandmother, will will lose to dementia in the upcoming days. This has impacted me in such a significant way that I was not prepared for for this despite what I was thinking. Understanding that I myself am not a religious person, but that she is, I have asked some people to pray for her knowing she would appreciate it. One of those people was Burrito Chad. I want to take this time to thank him for all of the support he has given me over the past few days. Though I knew how incredible this family is, but this has opened my eyes even more. On a happier note, I have been looking at classic and timeless Denver Broncos pictures to frame. I have a couple different frame sizes, 9 by 12 11 by 14 12 by 16 and 16 by 20 Any suggestions on pictures would be great. I am planning on just printing them from Google to ensure I will have as many options as possible. Willing to take all and any suggestions if other members have some as well. Well, first of all, uh, Super Bowl, and we are thinking of you. We love you. 
Um, I've had the distinct pleasure of actually meeting Super Bowl in real life. He's a great guy. Uh, I'm glad that Burrito Chad was there for you. And you know as well as anyone that the rest of this family is for sure here for you uh, if you need anything. And um, do not hesitate to reach out. Yeah, well said. Beyond that, your second question, I think a uh, picture of the helicopter. There's some iconic images of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find a picture, I don't know if there's a clear picture of the Atwater on a Koye hit. Yep. Um, but if you could find that. Pat holding up the Lombardi. That's a good one. Yeah, any Lombardi-involved photo. You know, the, this one's for John, this one's for Pat, That those photos. Um trying to think of an iconic Peyton picture him floating over the it was the charger when he jumped over (laughs) it um oh god I just had oh TD saluting yep that's a good one so I mean the options are endless you're talking about a historic franchise with hundreds of amazing moments yep from Pig Tosser 66, when I first heard the Broncos were moving on from Scangarello and that they were going to bring in Shermer, I thought it was a great sign that we were committed to Drew Locke and building around his skill set. The more I think about it and then remembering how Elway answered the Locke question at the end of the season press conference, I'm wondering if it now means we're going to take a look at Brady or Rivers this offseason. With Scangarello at OC, it did not make sense. Now, if they wanted to go that route, it would. Thoughts? Also, I still cry every time I watch the Karate Kid and Daniel lands the crane kick. Every time. <laughs> well, we know they're not going to be going after Eli Manning, so that may be a relief for everyone. That is a relief for everyone. Um, and to clarify on Drew Brees, I don't know why they did this with this contract, but he had a two-year contract that he signed last year, but it expires this year, and they can't franchise tag him, just like the Patriots can't franchise tag Tom Brady. It's the exact same contract, actually, where there's like another year, but it expires, so he will in fact, be a free agent. That would make sense in this offense. Um, it's better than Brady or Rivers, that's for sure, in my opinion. Uh, How would you rank those three? Obviously, Breeze one. Breeze, Brady, Rivers. Okay, I agree. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, there's always going to be a little bit in the back of my mind that's worried about this, but, I, I mean, it's like 1% versus 99. It's gone down recently, but I am – concerned about this it's interesting it's interesting uh before we go too much further shout out to denver rubber company they are tried and true since 1972 they're your most reliable partner for local projects anything you need for snow plows if you need custom hoses anything custom rubber no matter how big the project is they'll get it to you fast and they'll get it to you cheap so make sure you check out the denver rubber company and call them at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Dan Burke chiming in and says, did y'all catch Elway's interview with Steve Atwater at the Senior Bowl? He said that, quote, Shermer would be a good compliment with Drew and, quote, would take advantage of his talents. Sure sounds like he's the guy for 2020. Oh, winky face. Also, there are conclusions that we can come to, are there any conclusions we can come to with letting Mike Sullivan go? Does this mean they intend to be more aggressive in free agency? Do they want to repair some of the relationships with in-house guys that might have been damaged by poor negotiations? We kind of already talked about that. My, I'm sticking with my take. I like it. From Lone Star Broncos. Well, it's been two years riding with you guys. My subscription wasn't able to auto-renew due to a new debit card that I forgot to update info with. That being said, I was able to sign up for a three-year subscription. Hey. 
You can't get rid of me that easily. Love the family at DNVR, Lone Star Bronco. Love to hear it, Lone Star Bronco. We're happy to be tied with you for another three years. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him again. <laughs> and again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> Next one from Denver Born, Denver Rays. Hey, guys, the more I think about it, the more I say get me Visca in the first over Ruggs and Antonio Gibson in the third. My reasoning is that you can get speed in almost any round, but you can't get guys who are as versatile and weapons almost at any place in the field in every round. Imagine a backfield of Lindsey, Locke, Gibson, and having LaVisca, LaVisca, Sutton, and Fant spread out. What's your guys' opinion? P.S. I cried two days ago when I rewatched the episode of The Office where Michael Scott leaves. I'm definitely a crier, just like my dad. <laughs> uh, you won't get me complaining about this. To me, again, it all just comes down to the medicals. Can you get a report on LaVisca that says, hey, we think those injuries are in the past? What report is that? Is that coming from CU? Is that coming from your guys when they look him at the combine and when he comes in for a visit? It has to be a combination of all those things. In order to pull the plug in the first or pull the trigger in the first round? Yes. There, you know, your people at CU are saying, hey, look, it wasn't as bad as it, as it seemed. We really protected him. You know, we didn't want him to get hurt and, and you know, lose the season. And then his draft stock would really be killed. Um, and then also you have Greek look at him at the combine and he tells you, Hey man, all the, you know, all the important stuff is good to go. This comes down to Matt Russell and Matt Russell can't be a Homer here. He can't be wearing those golden black glasses, which is going to be impossible for him is it's, it's not the ring of fame up there at CU. What is it? Just. His name is yeah. on the stadium. It's for he, all the All-Americans. He's got to take a step back because if he does with LaVisca like they did with Juwan Winfrey, like he just falls in love with him, doesn't care about anything really, and just drafts him, that's going to be a mistake. But he has, he will have the best information on LaVisca from CU of any team in the league. And if they say truly not being a homer that he's fine, you could, and, and he turns out to be fine for his career. You got to steal at fifteen. An you, absolute you really did. steal. Yeah, you you really did. But like I said, the Broncos aren't in a position to take a risk. So if CU comes back and, and Greg comes back and says he should he should be good, should be good, it's too much for me personally. And Matt, you can't pull the plug on a on a should or pull the trigger on a should. Yeah, and and just for clarification, it wasn't really Matt. Russell, who was headstrong on uh, Juwan Winfrey, it was Zach Azani. Mm-hmm. And I think they just, in the later rounds, were down to take a flyer on him. Right. Okay, from Ray J. Gons. I think you got it. Ray J. Gons 07. Hey, DNVR family, longtime listener and subscriber since July of 2019. First, let me say I love the podcast and have been a Broncos fan since the 80s. I've always been looking for a podcast that gives me a ton of info and keeps me excited about every year, and this is definitely it. Love the community here and the many crazy off-topic issues. Y'all keep doing what you do because I can't make a day without my DNVR pod. Love hey. to hear that. I posted today for the first time because I was looking through my Instagram post and saw a DNVR shirt and was like, when did I become a filler of DNVR on Instagram? And, re- uh, and relieved... It was actually my UFC follow, and it reminded me of how much this family and ha- I ha- it reminded me how much this is a family, and I had to share. I wanted to share the pic in the post, but I can't. But glad I can share the story. With that, I'll end my post and say, "Go Broncos! 2020 Super Bowl! Here come the Broncos!" Um. So yes, 
if you weren't following along, he was saying he's scrolling through Instagram, mm-hmm. saw a DNVR shirt. Well, that was Curtis Blades, mm. who is fighting in the main event this week uh, for UFC Raleigh. He's fighting Junior Dos Santos, and he is ranked third among all heavyweights right now. And he wanted to rock our gear. I mean, that's the uh, that's the long and short of it. Is they came to us, and we're like, this this stuff is dope. How can we partner? And so we built a little partnership. So if you're a UFC fan or just a DNVR fan, this weekend you're pulling for razor blades. Yes, razor blades, Curtis blades. Ryan Von Miller's a big guy, right? He is large. Yeah, Curtis bigger. Oh, yeah. As I said on uh, Twitter, we upgraded our security team. <laughs> we I don't s- think anyone wants to mess with us anymore. You want to uh, You want to get in a ring with Bradley Chubb? No. Because that's, that's the size. Curtis is 6'4", 260, but he's, he's built differently. He's built more intimidatingly than, uh, than really anyone. He's a funny guy, too. He's, uh, we're, we're excited to be working with him. And obviously, I guess I left a little part. He trains out of Lakewood, which is where the DNVR office is, just outside. You know, it's a suburb of Denver. Like, is that technically what it yeah. is? Yeah, yep. Um, so he's, uh, he's repping Colorado, repping DNVR, and we're going to be pulling for him this week. Yeah, we can't wait for tomorrow night. Next one coming in from uh, V. How do we VR do though? VR though says some things on the Senior Bowl coverage I have seen this week. One, this is the perfect draft for the Broncos situation with heavy wide receiver, offensive tackle, and potentially cornerback. You're right. Two, Josh Jones seems to be playing his way into consideration at 15. A trade back to somewhere in the 20 to 5 to 25 range and picking him up would be awesome. Three, Jason Stowbridge looks like a guy with a great motor. Four. Like Gandy Goldham, even if he isn't the speed guy, we all think the Broncos will draft. Really appreciate the coverage from DNVR and hearing Mace over on KOA. Never paid so much attention to this event in my life, but this is great to have the outlets that allow me to stay informed. Will anyone from DNVR be at the draft in Vegas? First of all, um, I like Josh Jones. He seems like a beast. Um, I don't. It's gonna have to. I guess we're gonna have to wait for the process to play out to know if he's really the, uh, you know, a legitimate pick at 15. But he seems awesome. And then Gandy Goldman, small school wide receiver. The only thing is he's more of a Cortland Sutton type. So you could double down on that. It's not my preferred way of going about things. The only way I could really go for another big wide receiver is if it's a Lavisca Chenault who is not really a big wide receiver. He's just in everything. Right. Uh, yeah. If you want to get another big receiver, that's the second guy I'm taking in the draft. It's not the, it's not the first. I'm getting the compliment to Cort- Cortland Sutton, not trying to go after Cortland Sutton 2.0. As for if anyone will be at the draft in Vegas, unfortunately not. The draft is not a media event um, at the location. It's purely a fan event, which is awesome for the fans. Trust me, I wish we were going mm-hmm. to Vegas. Um, a lot of other places, like in the NHL, it totally is a media event. It's one of the best media events. Um, for us, we wouldn't. It wouldn't do anything for us to be there. We might get a, an interview with the first round pick, but that's it. And then you're just kind of sol. For us, we go to the Broncos facility um, on day one. They give us a conference call with the first round pick. Then, during the day two picks, they bring in the first round pick. We get to meet them, meet their family, talk to them, exclusive interviews, etc. 
Then on day three, they bring in all the picks from day two. And so it is a long, long event for us, but we got to stay right here at home. And at the end of every day, we talk to Vic Fangio and John Elway, which talking to John Elway is what we maybe do that eight times a year. And three of them are in that 72 hour window. The draft, not to tip our cap, but the draft is the best time to be a subscriber. I can't, Ryan, when it was you and I, and of course we had Dre doing the film room and everything. We're still going to have Dre. But when it was you and I, we were busting out way more content than any other outlet. Now we just added Mace. I can't even imagine what the draft's going to be like. We were already doing upwards of double-digit pieces per day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And Andre's doing a podcast. Or did we do a podcast this year? We did a little bonus podcast one day. Oh, right, right, right. So Andre's doing a podcast. We've got Andre's doing Film Room. We've got you and me writing quote stories and exclusives and columns and everything. Then we're going to add in Mace. I mean. It's going to be wild. Yeah. Take the days off from work just so you can keep up with the content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I believe that's our last one. So even though there wasn't that many comments, we still cleared two hours. It's just what we do on this It felt podcast. like a short one. It felt like a short two hours for sure. Uh, we thank you guys for tuning in. Glad to be back with you. Hope you have a good football this weekend. I don't even know how you will do that, but I hope you can figure it out better than I can. Are you watching the Pro Bowl? The what? Good. Yeah, me neither. There's no <laughs> – I mean, I guess if I – this is the same thing as the XFL. If someone on Twitter is like, oh, my God, it's a tie game with one minute left and so-and-so yeah. has the ball, I'll be like, all right, I'll watch. But if someone says, oh, one minute until the Pro Bowl starts, you're not like, oh, we got to get home. No, I would rather watch like some random college basketball game that'll be on that day. I would too. Yep. The it's a shame. It I, is. The MLB All-Star game is awesome. I love it. The Pro the Bowl The game itself isn't that great. I'd love that it means something. Yeah. I mean, I'll I watch it for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Unlike that NBA All-Star game. Oh. It's okay. Yeah, the best. yeah. I'm I'm not changing my day to watch. The problem it. with the Pro Bowl is it doesn't have the um the other stuff. The NBA, you want to watch the three point and the dunk, right? Um, the NHL, they have some cool stuff, and then it's a three on three hockey tournament, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they figured out a way to make it intriguing, and then the baseball has the home run derby, which is like must see TV. Yeah. So yeah, that's the best thing of any All Star weekend. Yep. It used to be the dunk contest, but it's kind of gotten watered down. There's only so many dunks. And now they've got the skills competition during the Pro Bowl this week, and it's it's Von Miller trying to hit moving targets, throwing the ball. Uh, yeah. Uh. I'll, I'll see if anything cool comes out on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I won't even consider it. Good. I'm proud of you. Yep. But <laughs> the Buffs play on Saturday, so that's something. Okay, there we go. They crushed Washington State last night. Huge run in the second half, right? Yep. Shoot the three at home. You're going to win a lot of games. Rank number 23. And only, yeah, and, and if they can take care of business against Washington on Saturday night, they'll they'll jump probably back up into the top 20. Is Washington good? They're okay. At home? Buffs at home. They should take care of business. So Ryan will be in Boulder? I will be in Boulder. There we go. Love it. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week on the DNVR Broncos podcast. It's getting me down.
If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirits staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. Uh, wines. I find them extremely helpful in ha helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials.